This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Nothing like a 4-4 tie in spring training. That's right. A's and Snakes play to a 4-4 tie. Spring training. We've got news and notes from today's game. There's some good news. There's some not so good news. We will break it down here on A's Cast Live. And boy, do we have a star-studded, uh, star-studded lineup for you today. Adam Kolarik will be here at 4:15. Doug Glanville, who is one of the smartest guys in the game, will be here at five o'clock. We're breaking down the Red Sox today and. They're great broadcaster. You've seen him on ESPN, but he also does the Boston Red Sox. Dave O'Brien will be here. Matt Kawahara from the San Francisco Chronicle. And then one of my favorites, Harold Reynolds is going to be here. I I love, I've I, ever since ESPN and then, of course, what he does with MLB Network, uh, he is as good as it gets. Commander, how are you on a Monday? Uh, this is the first show from the new apartment, new slash studio. So we'll see how that goes. I'm babysitting the dog, Leia, since uh, she's not used to the new apartment. So we'll see how this the next three hours go. But other than that, it was a very productive weekend with moving. And I got the first shot of the uh, COVID vaccine. So that's that was really encouraging news to see happen over this weekend. So we're a week away. So I'm looking forward to everything starting up. Mike fires through today off flat ground. That's good news. A.J. Puck was not that hot, but you know what? The fact that A.J. Puck is on the mound and he's throwing 93 to 94 miles an hour, that's that that's still good news. I mean, I'm not so much into results right now with a guy like that coming back. I'm more about, you know, getting the feel back, facing hitters, being in front of the crowd. I'll tell you someone who's loving the crowd. That's Matt Olson. I've said on this program numerous times, there's an MVP in this kid's future. Matt Olson is killing it in spring training right now. Give me a home run, Cody. The 2-1 set fires home. Olson swings and drives it to right. It is way out of here. Hits one of the palm trees on the way up. Gone, a two-run shot for Olson. And it's 4 nothing A's here in the third. That's like when I'm playing golf. There's two trees out there in a 200-yard area, and he hit, hits one of them. So that happens to be on the golf course. I think Matt Olson is ready for the <laughs> season to start. Yeah, you just want to stay hot. You want to just stay hot. And you want to stay healthy. That is, that's the number one thing. Here's what Chris Bassett and Scott Emerson said after the game on Saturday. A healthy Olsen is frightening for the league, I'll tell you that. I know I know everyone knows how good he is, but 
you give him a full year of being healthy, he's going to put up some incredible numbers. So I think we're I think we're all very very excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, try to get him before he gets off the bus. When you look at a hitter, and I look at a lot of swings doing uh, you know advanced scouting stuff, and and when you see a guy as balanced as he's been, that's when you start really getting nervous as a pitching coach on the other side. You know, nothing's fooling him. You know, he's always been a patient hitter and, and looking for strikes. But so far, you know, our hitting coach, Darren Bush, has got him where, where he looks just so balanced. Like, he's not out in front. He's not waving at stuff. He's just, he's on time. And, you know, as pitchers, I always talk about disruption of timing is what we're trying to do. And, and, and Matt just looks like every, his toe hole, you know, he gets his foot in the toe hole down and, and, and he's ready to swing and he's not off balance. And he's already got a patient eye anyways. And, you know, when that's clicking, he's dangerous. There's no doubt about it. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch this year. I mean, the reality is, if you got off to a little bit of a, of a shaky start last year, and next thing you know, you're looking up and you're like, wow, man, we only have, you know, only 40 games left now there's only 30 games left and you just you just so many guys were pressing last year and now you're getting back in it's it's getting normal again remember remember professional athletes are creatures of habit and last year you completely interrupted the flow right you're, you're in spring training now you're not in spring training and then you you're sitting around and then you got to do summer camp and then they agree on 60 games. And then you're playing 60 games. And it's just, it was such an odd year. There's no fans. You're in a bubble. You're testing every day. It was just odd. So it doesn't shock me that guys who are extremely talented ended up not having great seasons. And Matt Olson is one of those guys. But Matt Olson told us here on Ace Cast Live earlier this spring that he got in his own head and he got in his own head by stressing out video and, and watching so much that you kind of become robotic and you're thinking too much. And now he's realized I can look at video, but I just can't grind it. And I, and, and that's another thing I don't blame these guys because when they were on the road or even really at home, they were basically told don't go anywhere. I mean, you're sitting in a hotel room, you know, you're on a road trip and you're just sitting there and all you do is go to the ballpark and you go back home. And so he started watching more video and more video, more in his head. At some point, he's so talented and, I, and I'm sure Bushy's working with them. And as Emo said right there with the with the balance and everything. But at some point, this kid's so talented, it's got to be sea ball hit ball. And Adam, Adam's going to join us right at 4.15. Yeah, he'll call into us, so we'll just await his call. And it's actually funny you mentioned the Matt Olson comment about video. I actually have it right here. I had it saved for a while for us to use. So here's Matt Olson on with us talking about the uh, use of video last year and getting in his head. You know, it's so accessible to us, and watching video is uh, something that you have to do in today's game. you got to know what the guy's got, and you got to be able to – you know, assess things through video, but there's definitely a, a point of uh, diminishing returns where you where you just um, are glued to it. Uh, you know, I was I was too locked in. And, you know, we 
no distractions from off the field last year. Like, you know, you leave the field, you go back to your hotel room by yourself. So I pull up video and, and wonder what happened that day. You know, it, it's, it's funny, but it, you know, it did play a factor and I just became uh, a little too caught up in it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that it, it took away from the feel of, of being in the box and, and seeing the ball and hitting the ball, like you said, I wanted to, to kind of take a step back and, you know, baseball is not the sport where the more you do necessarily, the better you play. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of dumb in that way, but sometimes less is more. And, um, you know, I felt like it was one of those things that kind of had to, to go through it to have the realization and that's where I'm at now. I'll tell you what, if anybody's heading to Vegas anytime soon and they have odds on MVP, American League MVP, I would put it on this kid. I, I, You could just see everything's going good for him right now. He just got engaged. He's got a new puppy. You know, life is good. When life is good and you don't have to worry about stuff outside the lines, amazing things can happen. Now, you know, Chappie may have a shot at the uh, at the MVP. I'm just bullish on Ol- Olsen because he's – he's. I don't get to watch Freddie Freeman every day. I get to watch Matt Olsen. Matt Olsen's one of the best defensive first basemen I've ever seen. I mean, his ability to scoop and these infielders know that they can make the wild play because the odds are – his radius says he's so tall and has long arms and he can jump. Or if you're going to throw it in the dirt, he's going to pick it. So that allows you to try and make that crazy play. Matt Chapman will try and make that the most unbelievable play because he knows if the throw's a little bit offline, Matt Olson's got you. So you take how great he is defensively, and then, then you're going to throw in, I don't know, I mean, he could hit 50 bombs in a year. 50 bombs, 120-plus RBIs. An OPS over a thousand. I mean, Cody, that's that that that's MVP like stuff, and he has that ability. I, I think it was Fangraphs that was projecting the home run leaders for for this year, and they have Olson in the top, I think, five or six for home run leaders this year. Now, remember in twenty nineteen, he hit what thirty six, and he only played in what how many games? He missed some time with the handmade injury, the handmade bone injury. So he still hit thirty six home runs, which I think led the American League. So the guy has home run power, and. I mean, he's not going to hit 350. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I mean, not every guy's Freddie Freeman who can hit for power and hit for average. But Matt Olson's a great defensive first baseman. He's going to hit over 30 home runs. I, I think it was Chris Bassett earlier in spring said that he thinks that Chapman and, and Olson could each hit 45 home runs, which is, uh, I mean, if you can do that, you're on Bass Brothers level with McGuire and Canseco. Um, with the way he was able to hit that many home runs in a season, teammate-wise. I'd love to see it, and I think Olsen does have a, a realistic chance of winning the MVP this year. If he's back healthy, which he has five home runs in the spring, which is, I think, one off the leaderboard coming into today. So you got to be excited to see him play in a full season coming off of a down 2020 where he hit 195, but he did have, what, 14 home runs? It was still a productive year at the home run, but uh, a full year for him, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. Well, and, and if there is going to be a dead and ball, He's a legit power hitter. Guys who are not that legit type power hitter, but they've hit a lot of home runs because there's been a juiced ball, allegedly. 
their home runs, in theory, should be coming down. But a guy like Olsen, I don't think the ball matters. I mean, he just has incredible lift. He reminds me of Bubba Watson on the PGA Tour, if you ever watch golf. How he just used the ground and the lift, and he just the ball just rockets off the bat. Exciting times. I'm ready for April 1st. What's the date today? Uh, Today is March 22nd. So next Thursday is April 1st. Isn't Bubba also a lefty? Yeah. So there you go. That makes even more sense. Yeah. Adam, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? Great, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, We're doing wonderful. And we were just talking about Matt Olson because I've said on this program multiple times, I think he's got an MVP in his future you've now gotten to play with him what do you see with Matt Olson? I think you are 100% correct Matt is a um, well first off just speaking as someone who had to face him you know it's it's a it's a tough AB you know I, I was fortunate enough to get ahead of him uh, a couple times but I couldn't put him away he, he battles and that's you know I think something as some, uh, you know, for someone who has so much power as he does, um, you know, it's also something that's kind of unique that he's able to fight off t- tough pitches and almost, you know, kind of shorten up his swing, but then still, uh, you know, get his base hits with two strikes. And then obviously when he's ahead in the count, he can do a lot of damage. So I can't wait. Uh, you know, I'm so happy I'm on his side now and I can't wait to watch him all year long. Well, congratulations on winning the World Series. You know, before the playoffs, I said, whoever wins this, I think will be one of the great World Series champions of all time because of everything that you guys had to go through with the testing and the bubbles and all this guy. I know it was only 60 games, but just congratulations. That was a, a that Dodger team, you got you guys deserved it and it, and it was uh you're getting your ring. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's still very surreal. Uh, I don't know when it's going to sink in. It might be 30 years from now, but it is. Uh, it's still such a special feeling, and uh, and you're right. It was, it was a tough year that you know everyone in the league had to go through to just uh, get the 60 games in that we did. But um, to push through and you know stay diligent and say you know keep each other accountable and um, you know we were certainly glad that we were able to uh, you know make it through the season, you know especially the regular season you know unscathed and and uh, feel healthy and confident going into the playoffs. And it, it was a great battle. I mean we. Um, uh, all along, I mean, we had to face the Padres and the Braves, and obviously being down three to one to the uh, the Braves, uh, you know that was a you know a huge challenge in itself. And then obviously going up against Tampa with uh, you know the the talent and you know the the pitching depth and the lineup that they have. So it was uh, even though it was sixty games, you know we definitely feel proud, you know, with what we accomplished because if like you said, the difficult uh, surroundings. Well, and I I think about for you guys, which was different than, you know, us out here in the American League, there was no fans at Dodger Stadium. There was no fans at Petco Park. And we've talked to a lot of the players this year uh, so far in spring about how cool it is to have fans back in the ballpark. What was it like for you guys to have fans in the playoffs? It was great. Um, You know, it it certainly helped, you know, at least temporarily have everything feel uh, you know, one step closer to normal. Um, you know, w- we didn't have fans the first two rounds. So um, when we played the Padres, you know, that was such an intense rivalry and obviously will continue to be so. But, you know, it was almost kind of reminded you of growing up and you're playing, you know, the travel ball, to, you know, you know, circuit where, you know, what you hear is the benches. 
you know, you hear the cheering of, uh, of your families down the line and then you hear, you know, each other's benches. So that kind of made it almost, you know, feel, um, like it, like it did when we were kids. But then once, you know, the, uh, the, the CS and then the world series happened and to have fans, you know, it's just, it, the atmosphere was what you look for. You know, you, you want the, you know, the smell of, you know, the, the food in the stands and then you want to hear the crowd react. And it, it certainly, um, like I said, it provided a little sense of normalcy and, uh, you know, you know, obviously the Dodger fans travel well, uh, no matter where they're playing. So we, uh, we definitely, uh, we're so thankful to have them in the stands, uh, you know, when we want it. Yeah, I, I said the atmosphere is kind of like taking you back to when you were at Maryland when you're in a, a practice game against your old teammates. You know, nobody's in the stands. You'll, you'll have a pitcher behind you calling balls and strikes. I mean, it kind of had that feel. Sure, and not and not to diminish how much I love uh, Maryland, uh, especially playing baseball there, but it, it wasn't, you know, practice games. You know, we didn't have too many fans in the stands there, especially those early games when it's still cold out um, in, during regular season games. So, um yeah you're right you know it, it kind of it just brings it back to what the true battle is is you know the the pitcher versus the hitter and um you know you're able to uh you know kind of just feel like a kid again where it's you know not much in the stands it's just the game on the field so um yeah I'm definitely hoping and it's great to see that it sounds like across the league we'll have fans uh, everywhere and hopefully as the season and the summer progresses we'll be able to add more and more fans to the stands how far did you have your Terps going in the tourney? <laughs> I certainly have them winning tonight against Alabama. Um, uh, I'm a, I've always loved the Terps basketball team, and I go to the games in the off season. And that was a huge reason why I wanted to go to Maryland, was just because growing up, uh, you know, they're basically like a pro team, uh, you know, in terms of how their following is in the state. And, you know, everyone goes to the games, and it's, it's uh, uh, you know, I can't wait. And it's great to be on the West Coast now with, uh, spring training so the game comes on at 5 45 local time so it's uh it's you know i won't be watching it with one eye closed uh, so it's great you know i can't wait for the game and uh i think they'll do well yeah no i mean it's 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 gonna be interesting uh so you're coming off winning a world series with the dodgers what do you see with the a's that gives the a's a shot at at potentially winning the world series in 2021 sure i mean i can just you know, when I just think of my experiences of being on teams uh, like Tampa and then with the Dodgers, you know, you look at the lineup, you look at the starting rotation, and you look at the bullpen. So it's kind of those, you know, it's obvious, but those three factors and uh, the A's, you know, competing against them, you know, they've had those three components. And sometimes it's just about getting hot at the right time. Um, obviously, health plays a big role and it's those little intangible things. But, you know, the A's over the course of the last, five years, you know, playing against them and, and watching them on TV, you know, they don't make mistakes. Uh, the, the, the youth that's come through the organization that's here and ready to, you know, be frontline starters and, and carry the lineup. And then the guys that we have in the bullpen have, you know, some experience and, and we're able to bring that to the table now. Um, you know, when, when those three things combine, you know, that's how teams go far and, and the A's, uh, you know, just competing against them, like I said, you know, they're a team that may fly under the radar uh, kind of more, uh, you know, from a fan perspective, certainly don't fly under the radar from a, you know, a player perspective. You know, whenever the A's came in town, you knew it was going to be a tough series. 
And in, you know, you knew once the game went to the bullpen that, you know, chances are you weren't going to get too many more runs off of them. So, you know, I look, I look to this season and this team to be, uh, you know, yet again, another strong, um, strong team that, you know, everyone stays healthy. I think you can surely expect us to be there at the end of the season. You know, we've talked to Kevin Cash and Bob Melvin about this, how the Rays are very similar to the A's and both business wise, problems getting a new ballpark built, uh, winning, winning with not spending a ton of money. Uh, how similar have you seen it now that you've been on both sides? How similar are the are the A's and Rays to you? Yeah, I think you can certainly draw comparisons just because, um, you know, like you said, you know, you kind of fly under the radar with some guys that maybe you haven't heard of or that were counted out by other organizations and they're brought here and, um, you know, the coaches that they supply you with as a player and, the you know, the advanced analytic data that you're given as a player, you know, I think these two teams are great examples of what you can do. Um, you know, just because you're not in a huge market doesn't mean you can't, you know, go out there and you know, put up 90 to 100 win seasons. I remember when I was with Tampa in 18, you know, we were so close to making the playoffs. We were a 90 win team, but we came up short because the A's had 97 wins and, you know, we couldn't have been hotter the second half, but the only other team that was just as hot was the A's, so we just could never catch them. So, you know, I think it, you know, you can surely expect to see that again this year. And, you know, as Tampa rebuilds, you know, don't be surprised to see them, you know, still scratching and clawing those last couple of days of the season to make another postseason run. So certainly a lot of comparisons and, you know, the managers, like you mentioned, Kevin Cash and, and, and ours here with Bob, um, know what they're doing and they, they know how to handle bullpens and they know how to handle lineups and it's an organizational um, contribution. You know, it's not just the guys that you start the season with. There's going to be plenty of guys that you see rolling through uh, just because they don't start the season with the team. Don't does not mean that they're not going to be huge contributors uh, throughout the year and into uh, October. All right. I, we, we talked to Trevor Rosenthal about this because he, he said, you know, cause he was dealing for the Padres. He was like, I didn't want the season to end. I mean, your numbers, you had a 0.95 ERA in 19 innings. You were dominant. Uh, you know, I know the World Series, but after the World Series, it was like, I want to keep on pitching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly when you're feeling good and and, um, and you want to keep, you just want to keep playing in, in those circumstances. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tough for any pitcher, I think, to manage the, you know, stopping and starting that happened last year with, you know, rolling in spring training in March and then shutting it down and not knowing when things would resume. So I, my main priority was just staying healthy and strong. Cause for me in a, in a full season, I always feel like I get stronger as the summer, you know, warms up and you know, I just get in better routines. And um, I've always been a guy that felt like the more I throw, the better I got, you know, it was kind of the, you know, I struggle when I only get in once a week sometimes, you know, and that's just, you know, sometimes the circumstances of the games, but yeah, you know, for me, I, I was similar, and I felt like I could have kept throwing, but um, you know, I was I was certainly happy to keep pitching through October, and and I think you know this year my arm just feels you know in a sense semi you know, I wouldn't say rested, but you know it's it's certainly uh, able to probably be ready for a longer uh, you know and fuller season this year. You know, there's some people out there that are worried that you know the starting pitchers. You know, only got like 11 starts or 10 starts, and that's going to affect them this season. Uh, Scott Emerson is on the record saying there's no data to prove that. 
How do you think it is going to be for the starters now that they're going back to a full 162-game season? I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think the 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 more important thing is, you know, what I was mentioning before is the depth. And we certainly have that of guys who can contribute, whether they be long relievers or starters. And, and you know, as a bullpen full-time guy, you know, I can – certainly say that you know I'm used to coming in for one batter and I'm also comfortable going two innings so I think it's uh it's a, it's a full contribution as a as a pitching staff when you look at a 162 game season plus playoffs as a whole so you know for me I you know when I look and we have you know you know we, we certainly expect you know you know fires to be healthy and you know at some you know and with that you know you have five legit starters and then you throw in puck in the in the mix and now that's six then you guys you got guys like you know cole irvin and um you know and others that can contribute so now you're looking at five six seven eight guys who can legit start you know at, at the major league level so that's the kind of depth you look you look for and and you certainly know that once the season starts you know you're fully equipped uh no matter who's the one you know getting the start that day well, great stuff. We truly appreciate your time and can't wait to see you next week. And finally, we'll have opening day. Yeah, we can't wait to get out to Oakland and then pack the bags here and, and move into the stadium out there and get rolling. So we can't wait either. Good luck to your Terps. All right. Thanks. We need it. <laughs> Take care. All right. Bye. How far did you have Maryland going? That's a good – that's a really good question. Let me see. Um, I had the old – Bracket up for people that are wondering. Uh, I think the Cinderella dream for the Ohio Bobcats is going to end. They're losing uh, by 17 to Creighton. I don't think I had Maryland going very far. No offense to Adam. Had, yeah, no offense. I had I had Connecticut beating them in the first round. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I, I like UConn. Dan Hurley was a guy that was supposed to be in the running to coach Pitt, and he chose UConn, which is probably the better decision. And uh, so I was like, you know what? I, I like I just like UConn. I thought they're they're the more historic basketball university although maryland does have that national title back in the early 2000s but uh, i didn't have them going very far i didn't really ch- get a chance to see a lot of maryland play this year so i don't i didn't i don't i don't know i didn't get a good scouting you know a lot of scouting on them okay, okay. who did you see a lot of this year uh gonzaga gonzaga um i probably watched um that's about it gonzaga when they're on t- oh virginia I told you i'm a sucker for virginia every year Oh, yeah, they 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 win it or they choke. They're choke beast. I mean, they're. I mean, you can't. That was disappointing. I'm eighth in my bracket right now. I'm eighth in our little league, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I like how you put here in our rundown. Is the leadoff man changing in baseball? What have we always thought about the leadoff man, right? It's a fast guy. It's got to be a guy. It's got to be a guy that's got wheels. Well, maybe that's changing. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Oh, wow, Cody. I just read a lot of this article about the Rockies in the athletic. General manager Jeff Brittich and owner Dick Monfort. You go down here and you start reading this thing. 
Oh, wow. You want to talk about dysfunctional. In interviews with more than 35 current and former Rockies players and staffers, rival officials, and others in the industry, nearly all of whom spoke. Yeah, they didn't want to tell you who they were. Okay. Uh, there's there's a uh, there's a theme going here. Poor communication between the GM, employees, and players. Highly questionable talent evaluation from free agency and trades. And a perception that the Rockies under the owner unwilling or unable to build a championship roster. As evidenced by the fact, 27 years the rock pile has been around. They've never won the division. Both the owner and the GM declined to comment on the story. Wow, that's some serious, serious. And the article starts with talking about the day Arenado signs. He's got tears in his eyes. I'm a franchise player. I'm going to be here my whole career. You know, you sign a $260 million contract. You don't think you're going to get traded in your prime. You think you're going to play the rest of your career there. They'll put a statue out there. I haven't been to Coors Field in a long time. Do they have statues now? I've never been, so I don't know. But if they did, it'd probably be what, Larry Walker or Todd Helton, if they had one? Yeah, I mean, I it's I, I mean, it's been a long time. I think it's been since the 90s was like the last time I was there. Beautiful ballpark. Coors Field is awesome. But, man, that's where you as an A's fan, should be very, very thankful that that's not how your ball clubs run. You have all of these front office guys that have been with the A's for over 20 years. You got Bob Melvin now, the the longest tenured manager in baseball. They work together. That's why they win. Dysfunction doesn't work. It doesn't work in any sport. It doesn't work in any business. When you have that kind of dysfunction and the lack of communication, if your GM, the one rival GM in this article said, I hope this guy does, this British guy, he's so bad, I hope I hope he doesn't lose his job. We want him to stay there because he's not a winner. Now, I wonder, is that a rival GM from an NL West team? Because if it is, I mean, I, I'm not reading, I don't have it in front of me now, but that's not the exact quote. But, you know, he was like tongue, tongue in cheek. I hope he keeps his job. That's probably coming from, that's probably coming from one of the GMs in the West, don't you think? Yeah. And when I read this article earlier, I was fascinated by it. And that's why I told you I thought it was really good. And the one part in there they talk about that, it's, it's fascinating because uh, Dick Monfort, the owner, said that he thought he joked about after the Arnado trade that he thought about firing himself, but he never thought about firing Jeff Bur- uh, Burditch, the, the GM, which is just – I mean, if you go through and look at some of the moves that uh, the Rockies have made since uh, Burditch, Burditch uh, – I think it's Burditch. It could be Burditch has been the GM. He signed Ian Desmond to a five-year deal worth $70 million. Closer Wade Davis to a three-year $52 million deal. 
Gerardo Parra, Baby Shark with the Nationals, so a three-year deal for 27 and a half. Two, two relievers, Brian Shaw and Jake McGee, on similar three-year $27 million deals. They all fizzled. Only Greg Holland in 2017 and Cargo in 2018 led to a war above one. You're giving out all this money and you can't get a guy to produce a war season over one? It just show. I mean, it's just bad evaluate. Like they said in the article, it's just bad Italian evaluation. They've signed 19 free agents to over 300 million dollars on major league deals. Those 19 free agents have collectively accounted for negative 3.4 wins above replacement. That is awful. And the only reason they've been good is because well, one, Bud Black's a good manager. Two, you had Nolan Arenado and DJ LeMahieu for a little bit, then you let him go. Although the article mentions how some players begged for the team to resign him. You let him go. You're going to lose Trevor Story probably. You did give Charlie Blackman uh, an extension, but it even lays out in the article that he uh, came up with his own plan to get better that wasn't the Rockies' plan. Like, it's a, whole, it's a whole mess on what's going on in Colorado, and it's no wonder they've never won the division. They've been to the playoffs how many times? Four years in their existence? Five? Let's see, one, two, four times. I think that's what it is. I mean, if you're trying to win a World Series, they're not doing it this way. This isn't the Dan O'Dowd-led years where Dan O'Dowd tried to put a competitive product out there. This is completely different. Dodgers have won the division, what, eight straight years? Yeah, eight straight years. Yeah. You know who also has never won their division? But they have won two World Series. That would be your COVID Marlins. Yeah, that's true, too. And Both times they, both times they won the World Series, they were a wild card team. Yeah, and the article also mentions – it's funny you mentioned about um, – you mentioned – it was right before that. No, I, I completely lost my train of thought on what it was, too. Just about, like, the Rockies. Um, but, yeah, the Marlins never won the division. Oh, back in 2018, the Dodgers were leading the division by one game at the all- at the trade deadline, and, then, and the Rockies could have made a move to try to make it. And apparently the GM said that, well, we're not going to make any moves. We're going to make minor moves. The team needs to learn to play better. That's what you're telling your team that's one game out of winning, winning the NL West for the first time, and then they forced out game 163, and they ended up losing the, the NL West to the Dodgers, and they lost in the first round to the Brewers. But still – I mean, that's not a good look if that's what you're telling your players. And I got to think, now now that they've been to the World Series and now that the Rays have gotten to the World Series, that the only team that has not been to the World Series in their history is probably the Seattle Mariners, right? Everybody else has at least made it once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because remember, the Padres have been twice. Yep. Rangers have been at least twice. Yep. Um, Angels, Angels, Angels won it. The Nationals. Obviously, Astros. Nationals. Uh, White Sox. I mean, Cleveland. Uh, Tigers. Royals. Twins. Cubs. Reds. I'm just reading down the list. Brewers have been. Pirates, obviously. Obviously, Cardinals. Nationals. Phillies. Mets. Marlins. Braves. Jays. Now, with the Rays going to the World Series. Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles. Yeah, there's only one team now in the history of baseball that has never been to the World Series, and that's the Seattle Mariners. And I don't think they're going anytime soon. I'd agree they with you the, that. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. That was 20 years ago this year. 20 years ago is the last time they reached the postseason. Now, it's different. They've, won, they've had winning seasons. They just haven't made the, pl- the postseason. 
There's a difference between them and then the Pirates being 20 years of terrible under 500. There's a difference. The Mar- Mar- the Mariners have actually, I guess, tried because they've had records over 500 where the Pirates have stunk. But yeah, they're not making for 20 straight years. I mean that. I mean to be a Mariners fan, it has to be brutal because. I mean, you, you had so much talent coming through your system before uh, Griffey and A-Rod and Harold Reynolds, who's going to be on later today, and Ichiro and Edgar Martinez. and I mean, there's been so many guys that they've had. And then 20 years since, they went to the playoffs, and they won 116 games. To, to never be back since, is just, uh, that that's brutal. Well, you're going to enjoy Harold Reynolds later on. Harold's going to tell some Bo Jackson stories. He's going to tell some Griffey stories. Uh, it, it's good, and he's got. He will end with his famous Ricky Henderson story, and it is absolutely hilarious. His Ricky Henderson story. It, it trust me, Harold Reynolds at six thirty is must listen to. It's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. Uh, Harold was a good player, but yeah, but you think about all the talent that's rolled through Seattle. I mean. You 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 basically you had two of like the greatest prospects of all time. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez are two of the greatest prospects who have ever lived. Obviously, Griffey, a Hall of Famer, A Rod. I don't know what happens with A Rod. Do you think A Rod gets in? I do. I really do. I think the the reclamation project of his image and what he's been doing, being on Sunday Night Baseball, our good friend Matty V and being on Fox and everything. I think the thing with him is he, I guess he said sorry, and he did, and he got in front of it, and he admitted to it. I don't think he really wanted to at first, but he got in front of it and admitted to it. Oh, he denied, denied, <laughs> denied. <laughs> well, as he, he gave he – They gave finally one of the, had him. They finally – I mean, yeah. See, that is the difference between A-Rod, Bonds, and Clemens. A-Rod got caught. A-Rod got suspended. A-Rod lost a lot of money. And then A-Rod had to come back and say sorry. But he said sorry. Once someone says sorry, you know, it's kind of like, okay. I mean, he said sorry. And it, it was, God, what was it? Was it, this was probably 2019 when... A-Rod was on ESPN. They brought him on, and they were asking about the Hall of Fame and Bonds and Clements. And A-Rod said, hey, listen, I can't comment on them. I can just tell you I've made my bed, and I got to lie in it. You know, so over time, he continues to own it. That's the difference. Pete Rose, if Pete Rose just would have admitted it and said sorry, He'd be in the Hall of Fame. If Bonds and Clemens came out and said sorry. I mean, Bonds testified in front of a federal grand jury that he took PEDs. Now, his defense was, I didn't know what I was taking, which I thought it was flaxseed oil. Oh, come on. And there's evidence against Clemens. They just don't want to say sorry. They don't want to talk. Like McGuire. McGuire said sorry. Next thing you know, he had a second round of a career as a coach. Who did he coach for? He coached for the Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the Padres, right? Yes. 
And McGuire, if he wanted, would still be coaching, but his I believe his twin boys are older now and they're doing real well, so he's focusing on his kids. But he said sorry. He finally had to come clean. But once you do it, we can't keep hammering you because you said sorry. Palmero hasn't done that. Sammy Sosa hasn't done that. Bonds, Clemens, all these guys. What would their life be like? How different would it be? I mean, when the Giants have had these celebrations for Bonds, I mean, they're almost kind of like, well, he did steroids. He's not going to get in the Hall of Fame, so we'll put him in our Wall of Fame or whatever the hell they did with Bonds. But it was always like everybody knew, like, the reason why Barry's only getting this is because he, he did PEDs, but he doesn't want to admit it to you. He had to under oath. And that's, you know, PR 101. Come on out, say sorry, shed a tear, and everybody will be like, okay. But when you, when you, when you, when you continue to sit back and fight it, Let's just say, Cody, it's not a good look. Well, you're right, because uh, we saw this, what, a, would have been last year or so. There was a team that had a little controversy go around with them, and they could have just said sorry, and, you know, and you know, people might have started forgiving them, but said not. And, and then they had a, a, a certain individual get in front of everyone and defend his teammates, and he backed up his talk, though, so I'll give him that. But uh, the Astros never said sorry, so – then again, that'd be fascinating if they did say sorry and how the court of public opinion viewed them after this. Say they came out it, last year when Bregman and Altuve did that press conference with uh, Jim Crane in Florida, and they're like, look, we're sorry for what we did, you know, blah, blah. You know, they went through the whole thing and not just be, you know, completely a debacle. Will we still, will we still vilify them and hate them like people are, going, are projected to? Or will we actually forgive them for what they did and start moving on? Because it, it's fascinating because I don't think a lot of people – would have forgive them where it's something like A-Rod or, you know, McGuire or, or, or even Bonds come out saying they're sorry for what they did. And people are like, oh, okay, you know what? This is years ago. They're moving on. But the Astros, I think it's a different story. It's a different crime. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's the Astros are a player putting a substance into his body to make him better. We're used to that. We're, we're used to that happening, right? And our, our entire lives, guys have been getting popped. Gals have been getting popped at the Olympics. They're, these these guys were putting a substance in their body to make them better. But you still have to hit. You still have to pitch. You still got to do it. And as our man Jose Canseco, who tends to be right on everything, which is crazy, he was like, everybody was doing it. So it was more of a level playing field than we thought. You know, there's a lot of pitchers who did it and got away with it. A lot of them. So basically it was PED guy on the mound versus PED guy in the box. Well, that's now a, a level fight. We just all thought, well, there's like a handful of guys doing it. No, 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 no. A lot of guys were doing it. And they're doing a lot of different things. I mean, there's, you know, there was no testing. So some guys were on steroids. Some guys were on testosterone. Some guy, you know, who knows what everybody was on. Just read the Game of Shadows. It's one of the legendary books, sports books of all time, and it breaks it down. 
And I remember uh, Mark Fainuwata and what Lance, what was the other guy? Lance Williams? Look up Game of Shadows. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, Lance Williams, every, yeah. Lance Williams. Everybody, and I had those guys on my talk show multiple times. Everybody tried to play tough guy in that book, uh, you know, once the book came out. We're going to sue these guys. We're going after these guys. You know, fans were like angry in San Francisco. I can't speak for Bonds. I mean, for Clemens, but they were angry giant fans who actually said that these guys were going after Bonds because Bonds had treated them horrible. And, you know, sports writers are going after him because of the way Bonds treat him all these. These guys weren't, they were, they, they, they worked the criminal beat for the Chronicle. Balco was raided by the government. They were covering crime. They they never dealt with bonds. They were never in the Giants clubhouse. Their job their, their job was to report on things going on in the Bay Area. Had nothing to do with sports. It just became about sports. I mean, they didn't know when they raided Balco, they had they had an idea what they were getting, but then it just the bubble burst. And now you have the biggest names. I mean, look how many Niners and Raiders were on that list. There's a ton. The Olympic athletes. Game of Shadows. If you have if you've never read it, pick it up. It is a it, it, it's a fascinating read. But getting back to if you just said sorry, where would you be now? I told you that I don't know, I don't know if I've told you this story. I'm in I'm on a sales call with our head sales guy at 957 the game. And we're trying to close a client. And at this time, they had outdoor seating in downtown Burlingame. So there's four of us sitting there having lunch. And all of a sudden I look up walking down the street. It's Barry Bonds. And he is shrunk. I mean, he is so skinny. He's back to what he used to be, and maybe even a little skinnier than that. He's a cyclist now. But here you have the all-time home run king. Here you got a guy with seven MVPs walking down the street in the Bay Area. No one recognized him. He's become, like, so irrelevant. It's, it's unbelievable. And the punishment is... The punishment is we'll keep you out of the Hall of Fame. I, or I, what, do you, I mean, what, do you, what are you going to do with Big Poppy? What are you going to do with A-Rod? If you're going to put them in, you're not going to put in Bonds or Clemens. I mean, then then it's like, then then it shows, you know, we're, we're accepting who did it and who didn't. No, let me put that. We're accepting... There's certain guys we're going to accept saying it's okay that they took roids and then, or PEDs, uh, but then there's going to be guys we still hold out. That's hypocrisy right there. Well, that's what you might get coming up soon at the Hall of Fame with A-Rod and, and Poppy. Because, you know, Poppy was in, what was the, uh, was the Mitchell report that he was listed in? That was when he played for the Twins. So... Fascinating how that's going to go. What is that? Is that next year? 
Is that this next Hall of Fame class is where I think Jeter or Jeter, A Rod and Popper? I think that's that's right. And then you go a couple more years, and I think the next guy that might get in on the first ballot, like I said before, is Adrian Beltre, and that's not till like twenty twenty four. Was he in the Mitchell Report? Beltre, I don't, I don't think so, because I think Beltre's that might have been like his like one of his first seasons in baseball. Uh, let me look because I know Beltre's. Final year with the Dodgers was when he hit like 48 homers and he went to go play for the Mariners and, um, well. Got the big contract and then couldn't hit. Yeah, then went to Boston and became a great player again, yeah. And uh, 2003, Beltre hit 23 homers. Then the next year was 04 when he hit 48 at the age of 25. And then he didn't hit 30 home runs again until he got to Texas <laughs> at 32 years old. But, yeah, I don't think Beltre was listed in there. So I think Beltre is okay, but. I think he's going to be the next guy to the first ballot because what do you, you can't do with A-Rod. You can't do it with Poppy, but they're both on TV, and they're very likable characters, I guess. Poppy maybe more so than A-Rod, but I, I think next year's going to be fascinating to see how they put them in. If you put them in, but you won't put Kurt Schilling in, I mean, that, there's a whole thing that's gonna you're going to see a uh, dynamic that we've never seen before when it comes to the Hall of Fame. You put Piazza in. You put Jeff Bagwell in. There's there, I know of one national writer who knows for sure. I don't know if he'd go, I, I, he probably would go on the record. I'm not going to say who it is though, but he said, oh yeah, for sure. Piazza for sure. I mean, you're keeping, you're keeping guys out who are some of the greatest players of all time, who have some of the greatest numbers of all time. And you know what you, you, you didn't test. Now, I don't completely blame baseball for that, and I'll tell you why. Because Donald Fear, the old guy that ran the Players' Union, uh, testing testing Major League Baseball players was like going to a holy war. Like, the Players' Union did not want it at all. I mean, if the owners were going to implement it, then there was going to be a fight, a major, major fight. And it, but it wasn't until we started realizing how many guys were on it that really the, the players' union didn't have a leg to stand on. Like, the sport was it was dirty, man. It was dirty. I mean, think about it. I'm going to take the stuff that helps me recover, get stronger, and I then have the ability to put it better numbers. Better numbers means millions and millions of dollars. Are, are you taking a risk with your health? Yes. But that risk can also lead to over a $100 million contract that sets up your family for the rest of your life, your kid's life, your grandchildren's lives. I mean, this is generational wealth. I mean, Francisco Lindor, they're talking about now paying him $300 million in New York. Mookie Betts, $300 million. Mike Trout, over $400 million. I mean, Mike Trout, by the end of his career will have made over $500 million. That crazy? Like, even those old guys, Bonds and Clemens made a ton. Maddox made a ton. Big unit. I mean, those guys made generational wealth. And if the league's not testing, and this can help you get 18 to $20 million a year, is it worth the risk? But now, now the testing's way better. I mean, it's hard to believe guys still get popped. 
It really, it really is hard to believe. Robbie Cano. <laughs> He's been popped twice. Yeah. Never a good look. I thought the yeah, first. We... Go ahead. I mean, if, if, if you're going to start putting guys in, Robbie Cano may still be able to get in. I thought after the first time, okay, like uh, we'll see. But I think now with the second, because he he was tracking towards a Hall of Fame. I mean, he's one of the greatest hitting second basemen we've seen. And now the second test, not so much. But what doesn't sit right with me with the Hall of Fame and, and the whole era of testing and all that? The guy that oversaw it all is in the Hall of Fame, but none of the guys that played the game or in or can go in the Hall of Fame. It just it doesn't. I don't like that part of it. How about the three managers? That went into the Hall of Fame together. That was Tony. Tony, yeah. Joe Torrey and Bobby Cox. You realize how many steroid guys those three guys had? How how many how many World Series did Tony LaRusa win with steroid guys? We know one for sure. The nineteen eighty nine Oakland Athletics. And what was going on with the Cardinals? Oh, you can't say anything about Pujols, but there's been suspicion about him for a long time. Joe Torre had all kinds of roid guys. Who was on the and Braves? Those guys- I was trying to think of, sorry, I was trying to think of who was on the Braves. That was a big, I mean, Chipper really wasn't, Greg Maddox and Ooze. How do you know? <laughs> you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you, you, you can't pick and choose. Bartolo Colon showed us that. Yeah, that was that was my case. If if you think a guy's a a guy that's doing something, then you look and it's like, well, I don't know, because Bartolo Colon doesn't look like a guy that's ever using, and he got caught. So, no. yeah, I mean, it does. It, it, it just because you don't. I mean, look how yoked Ron Gant was. But you don't know. You really, it, it's it, it's you you can't pick and choose and say he wasn't doing it. Well, he was doing it. And he wasn't. You don't know. You have no clue. Until they started testing, you have no clue what anybody was doing. You could just be taking testosterone. And you may not be a big weightlifter. That's why everybody always wants to say, ah, oh, Griffey didn't do it. I don't think he did. Because there is in Game of Shadows a dinner where Bonds and Griffey were at dinner together. And Griffey's like, nah, man, I'm not into that stuff. But who knows? I mean, we, we, we did that show where we talked about Bartolo and Melky got Melky Cabrera got popped at the same time. Melky Cabrera didn't look like an, an Adonis. He didn't look like Jose Canseco or Mark McGuire. My, Mark McGuire, I remember going into the clubhouse right before he was traded. And he was so massive. Like, go back and look how big Mark McGuire was at the end of his A's career and the start of his Cardinals career through the home run chase. He was just, he was built like a defensive end. His legs were so big. I don't even know how he got baseball pants on. His legs were so big. And he just crushed the ball. How's Mark McGuire not in the Hall of Fame? I mean, just... We may we may have to get get back to this and and really as a sport go back and overlook. Okay, wait a minute. McGuire and Sosa say baseball. Joe Torre didn't say baseball. Tony Larusa didn't say baseball. Bobby Cox certainly didn't say baseball. 
the man, the man ejected more than any other manager in the history of the game. Now there's there, there's three guys who saved baseball. First was Cal Ripken in the streak, and then it was the home run race between Sosa and McGuire. That saved our sport, and that should mean something, right? Shouldn't that mean something? I mean, Cody, you as a young baseball fan, what it meant to you that home run chase? Yeah, I was going to say, like a kid growing up, you know, in Pennsylvania, the part stunk. It didn't matter. We're coming off what four years off, almost four years later with the uh, the strike in '94. So '98, you got two guys that play in the Pirates division for me as a kid. You know, McGuire and Sosa hitting home runs, and you know, me playing baseball at that young age. I was an outfielder, so I I loved Sammy Sosa. Now I didn't not I didn't dislike Mark McGuire. I was just I you know I gravitated more towards Sosa because he's an outfielder, and he kind of played with more joy. I mean, let's be real, he had more fun out there. McGuire was kind of stoic. But they were both – that home run race is incredible, and that's why I love the 30-for-30 30 30 they did on that the long gun summer. I thought – I mean, it just brings back memories because I grew up during that time, and they they for sure say baseball uh, because – I'm sorry, if it wasn't for them, I, I don't think it would have been uh, Barry Bonds' 73 home runs in 2001 or something along those lines. If it wasn't for those two guys, I don't know what baseball would have looked like going into the 2000s because Griffey just started getting hurt a little more. He was starting to – you know, he's aging, but he was starting to get hurt. Then he goes. To, then he goes to Cincinnati. That's when he gets hurt more. Uh, baseball was completely different. But those two guys uh, reinvigorated people's love for baseball, and it was great. And for them not to be in the Hall of Fame, which I mean, you can have an argument for and against, but uh, oh, wow. They're gonna go I, I enjoy. Them. I think both those guys. Oh, should hold probably on one be second. In. Hold on one second. Somehow we always get um, pulled out on. I figure out because the thirty for thirty is happening. Why is Why is Jenny Finch? the softball player on when it's supposed to be supposed to be the A's 30 for 30 on MLB network. Oh, it's it's supposed to be on. They said they told me 5 PM Pacific. I, I'm looking at uh, Kevin Millar, Jenny Finch. I don't see any A's. Here, I'm going to turn my, now with this, this new setup I have in my new apartment, I have a TV in here too. So it's like a full-on, you know, studio for me here. Uh, I'll see what's I'll see what they have on MLB Network here. But I, yeah, they told me 5 p.m. Like they're they're putting Jesus Lazardo, Ramon Laureano at the bottom. MLB checks in with the Oakland Athletics. Thirty clubs in thirty days continues. Adman Verk, what's he doing on? Oh, they're saying it's tonight at 5:30. Oh, so they moved to the 5. Okay, because they told me five. Well, if, if you're looking at MLB Network right now on Sling that I use, it's saying that um, it 6.30 is uh, the Dodgers and Mariners. So right now, MLB Tonight's on right now is what it's saying on TV. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's not on. But they told MLB Network told me 5 p.m. tonight. All right. Coming up. Who we got coming up next? Well, we got to save the uh, base percentage thing. But uh, Doug Glanville, the, one of the yeah. smartest guys in baseball. Doug Glanville. Let's see. He's ESPN. He's the athlete. He's with the athletic. He's a uh, professor at UConn. This guy's fascinating. And he joins us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. That's right. It's A's Cast Live. You got Townie. You got the commander. 
Earlier today, we caught up with Doug Glanville. We call him one of the smartest guys in baseball. Doug, we always appreciate your time. How are you? Chris, I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, I'm just happy baseball's going. I'm just happy there's fans in the stands. I'm just happy it was announced here in California we're going to be able to have fans at the Oakland Coliseum. Just for you, how great has it been to see fans at games? Fantastic. You know, I, I really knew that we were going to be missing something huge last year without the fans. And as a, as a former player, it was, it was beyond just the fact that you have the support or just the, you know, the action and the intimacy of fans. It's also those individual encounters you have as a player. I remember fans, you know, picking me up and just saying positive things, you know, in the home environment and, you know, just being around the community of your town where you got to interact. So it's a lot more than just filling the stadium. It's just that constant engagement. So it's a big part of a player's life. You know, what's been really funny is the players talking about, I know our players said, we like even when people are ragging us. <laughs> they <laughs> have the fun interaction with the fans who are getting on them. Yeah, I mean it's 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 motivating. It's uh it gets you locked in and the rivalries, you know, I remember the days of Cubs Cardinals and, and you just go to St. Louis and and that rivalry was, was deep and you know, I mentioned the story that a, a guy I who uh, was a big fan, I I came in uh in Philly when Lenny Dykstra was still hanging in there. And uh I so I kinda of beat him out, he was retiring and there was a big Dykstra fan in the audience there, fans and he he said, uh, I heard you did a, a senior paper on building a stadium at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. I was like, yeah, this guy did his research. And he said, well, why don't you build a stadium you can hit it, man? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, that, that's pretty good, actually. I took note of that. So uh, they can be creative and, uh, you know, use the research, too, to go get you. <laughs> that, that's one of those where you have to turn around and give them a nod saying yeah that's a good one yeah had to tip my cap on that one you know one of the main mm -hmm. issues we've been talking about and i know it, it's trying to be addressed right now in baseball is the pace of play and you know right now we've been doing the three plus hour spring training games i i don't know what baseball can do but have you really looked at it and have you ever thought, like, how can we get this back under three hours again on a consistent basis? Well, but it certainly was proven last year to play seven innings. <laughs> that certainly did it. Uh, average seven inning game was like two and a half hours. You know, the, the challenge, it's a lot of le levels. I mean, we know about time between pitchers and, and batters in the batter's box. So you lose some time there. But it's also just sort of the the sort of the philosophy of the game, the, the, the three outcome concept of walking hitting home runs and, and strikeouts, right? The, the fact that the ball's just simply not in play. And you would think, okay, putting it in play should, you know, slow you down, but it's sort of the action because if you have more than just the clock and recording how long the game's taking, it's the tempo of the game that's really struggling because there's just so much dead time and, and just empty space with no balls in play. And what you're also losing from that is the athleticism and showcasing the talents, the speed, the ability to sort of close plays out, you know, if the ball's not in play, you don't really get to see that. So some of it is just a point of emphasis, you know, making contact, you know, not necessarily all about velocity and home runs, but also about the, the finer points. So it's going to take a couple layers to get back to it. You know, the physical, just measuring how they can speed it up, but it's a lot to do with tempo, rhythm, and just the, the sort of points of emphasis of the game now. You know, I've had a thought about, 
the players, the modern day players now show up so early and that they're there all day long that to them, I think it just, it doesn't matter because they're, they, they know they're going to be at the ballpark from noon, one o'clock till around midnight. So to me, it's like, I, I think they just don't care about the time. And that's why, you know, we're sitting here going, oh my God, three hours and 15 minutes, three hours and 30, but they've been there all day, so they don't sweat it. I mean, it also depends on, you know, the moment, right? If you're, if you're a game seven of World Series, you don't care if it went 15 innings, you know, you know that you know, taking, you know, Cubs, Cleveland uh, World Series, you know, the, these moments uh, sometimes crystallize that it isn't really about time. It's just the, the, the sort of the way the action is played. And players today, they have a whole nother level of research to do because of the fact that there's analytics that's brought down in real time algorithms on the field, whether it's bullpen management or, you know, how to approach a pitcher. That type of studying is, I think, is added a certain value to the game. But it's also given a sort of mechanical part of it of like you're playing to the outcomes and you're playing the percentages. And I think what happens is when you spend so much time worrying about like, okay, well, I'm not going to steal third because there's a 20% chance of me getting through, you know, then you start to lose those instincts of just creating things that might be low percentage plays, but they have such a high upside that they, they shape the sort of excitement of the game. And, and so when you get away from all these low percentage plays, you become so risk averse that you just stay in the sweet spot of, of what is sort of the formula. Uh, we had Joe Madden on our podcast uh, last year, and he said everybody has the same data, and therefore everybody's building the same car. And I thought it was really interesting, but that's so different than go back in time when you had different teams. You know, they had Ricky Henderson stealing bases, and you had Bash Brothers, and you just had different cultures at different time. Now you're working off the same database, and, you, and you're not getting that versatility. Well, think about yourself as a player, and one of the new rules that they're going to implement in the minor leagues, uh, one of the leagues, I can't remember which one it is, but the pitcher can only throw over to first or to any bag twice a batter. What would that be like for you? (laughs) I mean, you coax him to throw over, then once he can't throw over, I mean, how would that be for you? (laughs) I mean, that would be like, you know, the tooth fairy to me, just giving me the best thing they can. <laughs> I mean, that is so beautiful because once you throw over, you know, that's it. And now they might pitch out on you and all that. But, uh, you know, I think the idea, this is something I actually talked to Theo Epstein of to on the field one day years ago about, I call it the death of the stolen base. And one of the things he suggested in this sort of new uh, things that they're testing is the size of the base. He said, well, if you, if you make the bases bigger, you, you get four inches on that bag and four inches on that bag, you're eight inches clo- closer, and maybe that bang-bang play goes in your favor. So I, they're starting to just think about how to bring back exciting elements of the game by working backwards. They're saying, we need more stolen bases or we need to show speed. How can we do that? Well, here's some physical things we can do. So I like the fact that they're testing and trying different things. I don't know what the major leagues will accept, but – it's, they know it's important for them to really revisit it because innovation has happened in the pandemic and they have to figure out what really works and what sticks and what should be part of the future. Can you just imagine what it would be like the very first ground ball that hits the edge of these bigger bags <laughs> and it goes against the team? What do you think the reaction is going to be? <laughs> I think it was how the, the fielders are just staring at the bag for like 30 seconds. 
and get like a delay a game penalty or something. You know, it's uh, it, it's going to be strange, but you know, there's been changes, and last year there was probably the most changes we've seen in quite some time, maybe in the history of the game at once. DH and seven inning double headers and all kinds of stuff. The, the runner magically by pixie dust appearing at second base and extra innings. I mean, so I, I think the players are a little more open to making adjustments that make sense. And the, you know, the minor leagues are going to be the guinea pigs. So they'll, they'll know that at least they've had that, uh, that evidence behind it. You know, the Oakland A's are used to having a lot of change, but there wasn't a tremendous amount of change this year. I mean, up the middle, shortstop, second base, but everybody else, pretty much the core is here. And we talk about here on A's Cast Live that sometimes teams need to have the success and then the failures in the postseason to then learn how to win in the postseason. So the A's have had three shots at it now. They're trying to make the playoffs for the fourth straight year. They are one of the better teams in the American League. Can you just talk to that? you got to learn how to win in the postseason. It certainly gives you a certain confidence when you have that, that experience. And I know that was hanging over the A's head for, for quite some time. And just sort of getting over the hump and realizing that you can go deep and that you're close. I mean, year in, year out, the A's have just performed. You know, they're a team that has a, a system. And, and when you have a system that, works well and that you can figure out how to develop talent within that and it makes you perennial contenders that's something you could at least go in knowing you can trust that that you'll be there now it's just a fine tuning of like you said experience can be one of those elements of just being able to be familiar and comfortable with it and with some different playoff formats that are on the horizon you know that may actually shape things differently where you know we might have a series these sort of one game sudden death all these changes uh, might be something that can play in the A's favor because they they do well when they have a body of work. You know, the A's are that kind of team. When they have the body of work and you have the chances to sort of showcase the small ball approach and, and they, they do very well. And uh, it's just a matter of getting over that hump sometimes. And then you look at the Houston Astros. You know, they kind of they, they kind of got lucky last year with not having fans in the stands. But now the fans are going to be back into the stands every single time they're on the road. They're going to have people, you know, calling them cheaters and heckling them. How do you think that'll affect them mentally? It's going to be tough on the Astros, without a doubt. And I'm not saying there's a lot of sympathy out there, but uh, there's no doubt 2020 gave them a little bit of a hall pass. Uh, even though you know, I, we had Lance McCullers on our podcast at one point, and he he said, "Well, at least there's another side of it because we also had 81 games of silence at home. You know, <laughs> so it wasn't 81, but you know, the idea that there's no home home fans." also was a problem for everyone. So it's going to be a rough road. And that was a really painful and damaging time uh, that the A's really exploited. And I mean, I'm sorry, the A's, but the Astros. So we're running into a, a scenario where fans are going to let them know about it. And, and it's going to be really, really tough for them to uh, weather the storm. But I did play for Dusty Baker, their manager, and I have a great respect for him, a great appreciation uh, he is the sort of right voice uh, for a, a team that's trying to redeem itself. He, he's all about forgiveness and faith and perspective. And, uh, and he stays within that, that level of humility to recognize that uh, we have to find a way to move forward constructively. So it's going to be hard, no doubt about it. And that's going to weigh on them all season long. Dusty, even still today, is one of the coolest guys in our game. Absolutely. I mean, he, you know, 
he was always cool, just had, you know, theme songs and mind games in, in a way that was kind of fun. He was like a psychologist. He was, he was a mentor, a, a pastor. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he just had so much versatility. But you know, Dusty, not only as a player, saw the game from every perspective. He, his first job, you know, coaching, he did, you know, did the first base, third base, hitting. I mean, he did it all. And then ultimately became a manager that really had seen the game from every vantage point. So, uh, I think he's a great uh, asset to our game and, and really an institution in a, of himself. <laughs> Doug, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Hopefully you'll you'll fall out there in Connecticut soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate it. It's uh, good to talk some baseball and, and be ready for a season. I'm excited. Well, be well, be safe with the family, and let's talk soon. All right, Chris. We'll do. Man, I can't wait. To where I don't have to say, be safe. (laughs) I can't wait to get back to a normal life here coming up. But he's really a sharp guy. He's an Ivy League guy. He went to Penn, right? Yeah, Penn. I mean, he's... he's, I, I don't know if he wants to do it. But as a front office, I could see him being a front office guy. But he's got so much going on. I mean, he's a professor. How many guys in their post-career, we've seen guys do television and do do the media thing, but become professors? It's not many. Not many I could think of. Um, I mean, what he's doing, giving back, is great. Um, he also does a lot of analyst work, too, for MLB and, and also Marquee. So he does Cubs games as well, Marquee and Chicago. So Doug's he's an extreme- got the yeah, and he does Starkville with Jason Stark. Like, he's extremely busy, and yet he can make time to do this stuff. It's it's always great to have him because he is, as you said, one of the smartest people we've probably ever talked to. You know, I, I think, Cody, we've made relationships with people that when they come on the show, we all get smarter. Yeah, there's a lot of guys like that that we've – and it's good. I'm glad we're able to build these relationships. Maybe one day – We'll get to meet Doug in person instead of just talking to him over the phone. Uh, maybe he comes to Oakland. Maybe we see him somewhere. But it'll be it'll be great to meet him and just pick his brain in person about the game because, you know, the last year we haven't really seen anyone. Uh, well, we haven't seen anyone, let's be real. And it'll, it'll be great, you know, when we can get back to the Coliseum and start seeing people again, to see Ken and Vince and Ray, Dallas and Glenn, like everyone that we're, we're used to seeing. Uh, you know, Clay Wood, everyone. It's it's going to be a lot of fun to get back. Dave Renetti. Renetti, yeah, like Dave Cavill wandering around the Coliseum. Steve Vucinich, who we're going to try and have on next week. Who uh, David Force? Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one who always sees David. He, you always miss him. I always end up seeing one. Like we're always on the elevator together when we go up at the Coliseum, or when we're at the Jack London offices. I always see him. You always just happen to run into Billy because you guys are like. I, I haven't seen Billy Bean in well over a year. Well, the last time we saw Billy is at the, when we were at our office in Jack London, and you just started oh. chatting them up. It was uh, it was Dick Callahan's celebration of life that, you know, you showed up. It was the first time I'd had a suit on. I, I couldn't find my dress shoes. And they had I, – I couldn't find them. Like, so it was the first time I put a suit on, and you show up, and there's people that we work with that are there. Like, Amelia's there. I haven't seen that. First time I'd seen Amelia in over a year. Ruby Lopez was there. Carl was there. Like, we haven't seen these people. And I'm sure a lot of you listening, it's the same thing. 
You know, there's people who have gotten new jobs during this pandemic and have never met personally anyone that they they work with. They may have been on a Zoom call or Google Meets or however you're doing it or a phone call, but in-person meeting, hi, nice to meet you. There's a lot of people who started these new jobs. And, uh, well, not a lot of people start new jobs, but for the fortunate people who have started new jobs, they haven't met anybody. Now, lucky I've been able, able to see Cody, but I haven't seen the Italian Stallion Joey. I haven't seen I mean, a bunch of the guys that we work with, we haven't seen them. But we will next week. It's I, I got to tell you, I'm so looking forward. I may cry walking into the Coliseum. I mean, I, I've spent a good part of my career being at the Coliseum. You think of all the years I've done A's. You think all the years I've done Raiders. And then when I was leading your Golden State Warriors to championships as the pre and post game host. Not one, but two championships I led them to. I mean, you could, you got to realize how many, that property, how many days a year, 365, well, you're looking, I do 70-something A's games, every Raider game, and then X amount of, uh, X amount of Warrior games. That's a lot of days being at the Coliseum site. And to not have, not gone to the Coliseum now, in over a year, I may cry next week walking in, Cody. It might be the first. It, one, it might be the first time I've ever heard that one, but I. But it's good for it's for a good reason. So, it's my second home. I mean, the only place that I go more than my own house is the Oakland Coliseum. Oh, sorry, my dog's frantically barking on the balcony. Probably people walking by, so I'm just trying making sure she's not going to leap off the second floor balcony and down onto the ground. That little dog's got no chance of leaping over anything. <laughs> uh, she's more bark than bite. I don't, I don't even think she's even bark more bark than bite. I don't think she's either. Coming up next is a very interesting conversation with a guy that you know his career has been incredible. Dave O'Brien has been a broadcaster for the Red Sox, the Braves, the Indians, the Mets. Longtime ESPN, where he did everything from Major League Baseball to college football to college basketball. He's done NFL for the Falcons. I mean, this guy's career is uh, it's big league. And of course, he's the TV face of the Boston Red Sox. And he does games with our guy, Eck, Dennis Eckersley. You got to realize there's some bad mojo. Whatever the great mojo was for the Boston teams, where they won the Stanley Cup, they won the NBA Finals, Tom Brady's leading them to Super Bowls, Red Sox pull off three World Series. I mean, they were rolling high. Like every year, one of the Boston teams was winning a championship. And then now, whew. I mean, the Red Sox are in rebuild mode. I don't even know what they think they are. We call them the Boston Rays because that's the way Hein Bloom's treating it. And oh, by the way, that guy, Tom Brady, just won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
You don't think Bill Belichick felt the heat? And that's why the, if you don't know, the New England Patriots have gone out and spent a ton of money in free agency. You, you let arguably the greatest football player of all time walk, and he went and won a Super Bowl with somebody else, and you didn't make the playoffs. Boston? J.D. Martinez, I got this number. He hit 186 against fastballs. Once again, I'm not judging 2020. Certain players struggled. But this Boston Red Sox team, you know, they want to get younger and they want to rebuild, but they still have bigger contracts. I mean, you're the Boston Red Sox, and you got rid of Mookie Betts? That's a move the Pirates make. That's a move the Marlins make. That's not a move the Red Sox make. You trade Mookie Betts and not pay him, and he's one of your franchise's greatest players? You have the highest ticket prices in baseball. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Did, did You're I, trading Mookie Betts? Did I tell you, speaking of their tickets, did I tell you about what I saw someone post on Twitter last week? They posted the okay. tick. The, we'll save it. Uh, no, no, no. I want to preface this by saying A's fans complaining on Twitter about ticket prices. Like I saw someone say, I'm not paying $50. Uh, you want to know what it's like to be a Red Sox fan? Go ahead, Cody. I saw someone post on Twitter on StubHub. So on the secondary market, someone's reselling tickets for opening day. It's not Red Sox Yankees or Red Sox Rays. It's an old barn burner, Red Sox Orioles on opening day next week. Bleachers at Fenway, over $700 someone was posting about Red Sox tickets. Now, remember, they're only going to have like – they're only, they're not going to have, you know, many – like 4,000 people or so there. But still, $700 for tickets to go see the Red Sox play the Orioles on opening day. A's fans, no matter what, your tickets are going to be cheaper. They're going to gouge them in L.A. They're going to gouge them in New York. What's what's opening day for the Yankees? Well, they're at twenty. I bet it's hundreds. Oh, I'd, yeah. Uh, I'd have to when we when we go to break, I'll look to see if anyone's posting anything about the Yankees and how much their ticket yeah. prices Yankee are. Yankee tickets. I mean, Yankee tickets aren't cheap anyway. And now you're only going to allow. I don't even know what their percentage is. Well, it's actually uh, let me let me get this sneak this in. Uh, the A's are ready to welcome back fans to the Oakland Coliseum. Tickets are limited and sure to disappear quickly. Single-game tickets are on sale now. A number of policies and protocols will be in place for the safety of everyone. The A's look forward to welcoming back fans of the green and gold for the 2021 season. So A's tickets, single-game tickets are on sale today. So, Or maybe it's tomorrow. Actually, I think it's the 23rd. Did I read this copy wrong? Maybe it's tomorrow. Tickets are on sale tomorrow. It says now. I clicked on the wrong one. So tickets are on sale tomorrow. It's all right. You can get tickets. Get in the ballpark. A little normalcy. Can't wait to see you all. I'll be waving from the box. Because they're not going to allow us to go anywhere. You'll be like a Harry Carey singing the, the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley just waving out the box. <laughs> just waving at people. I miss you. I miss all of you. It's so great to see you. It might be the highlight of my, you know, you know it's crazy. That might be the highlight of my career, just getting back into the ballpark. 
I'm tired of being at home. I'm tired of looking at my wife and my kids every day. I'm ready to get out. <laughs> and I and I double checked. It is tomorrow. So tickets are on sale tomorrow. Single game tickets tomorrow for the A's. I clicked on the wrong radio drops uh, document. I've played so much golf, my back is now killing me. Like I, I need I, I need to get back to work. I need to get back. We need to get back in the ballpark. We need to see the guys. We need to see this. I can't wait. Dave O'Brien from the Red Sox. We will preview the 2021 Boston Red Sox next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Yeah, we also got indoor dining going again at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. Support your local businesses. Dave O'Brien is one of the top play-by-play men in the game. We're previewing the 2021 Boston Red Sox. Dave, it's great to hear your voice. How are you there in New England? Chris, uh, spring has sprung. I mean, it's it's wonderful, actually. The last couple of days have been gorgeous up in the Boston area, and temperatures up into the 60s, and I can't guarantee opening day will be, you know, above 35, but, but right now it's just great, and we're all moving in the right direction, I hope. I think you and all the other baseball broadcasters just cannot wait to be calling games with fans in the stands. That's absolutely the case. I, I you know, as Vin Scully said it a long time ago, the crowd is the bed we lie on as broadcasters because you really do need the crowd. And just just to hear reactions, Chris, to like a, a diving catch in the alley or a three-run homer in the eighth, and to actually hear an authentic human reaction is going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing and sorely missed. You know, that's the one thing we've gotten from our players. I'm assuming the same thing with Red Sox players, just how much appreciation they now have for the fans because these guys really miss the energy. They miss the adrenaline. And I'm really glad that our players are, are really honoring our fans. And then they even say, they go, you know what, I don't even care if someone's ragging on me. It's actually great to hear people rag on me. Yeah, to be abused a little bit from the stands, right? Exactly, because it's real, you know, and it's it's what fans do. And you know, we had a kid come from the Dodgers in the Mookie Betts trade last year, and you know, Alex Verdugo, and Verdugo played really well for the Red Sox, and he played with fire, he played with passion, he did everything he could. He would have been a real fan favorite last season, as bad as the Red Sox were for those sixty games. He would have been a very popular player. He never got a chance to hear people cheer for him at Fenway. So at least that's a, a real positive moving forward come April 1st. And and I tell people all the time, whether it's Fenway in the American League or it's Wrigley in the National League, it's so historic. And, and I love how just how intimate Fenway Park is. And when you're sitting there, you can really envision all the greats. Ted Williams playing out in left field. Just all the great players that were not only Red Sox players, but opposing players that played in the stadium. I mean, just what's it like to have Fenway be, be your office? It's it's very, very special. It's not lost on me any night because I grew up here. I'm a, I'm a New England kid. I was born in the same hospital that Ted Kennedy was born in in Boston. So, I mean, for me, going to Fenway is, is like a return to my childhood, but I get to do it every night. And hundreds of thousands, millions of people get to do that uh, coming to Fenway. It's, it's like broadcasting a bit in a museum, but not a museum where you can't break stuff. You know, guys can run into walls and, you know, they can make mistakes out there and, and the fans can go crazy when, when you know, a play or a big moment leads to it. 
and and all that's there, all the uh, that raw human emotion. But it's an incredible place because it's it's only thirty seven thousand fans. It's tiny in that respect. You feel like when you sit down in a front row or in one of the red box seats and look out that you can almost touch the green monster. I remember the very first time I did as a, as a seven-year-old kid, I could not believe how green everything was. I couldn't believe how big Carl Yastrzemski looked, you know, where he's, he's warming up with his you know, number eight, right, right up against my, my head. It felt like everything's like that at Fenway. It's so on top of you. It's so in your face. It's really so Boston in so many ways. Yeah, you go down the line and you take the picture, you know, touching the monster and you realize how dented it is. I mean, Wade Boggs put so many dents in that thing. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he he did and really figured out how a left-hand hitter should use Fenway Park. It's the guys who think, no, I'm going to be a home run hitter and I'm going to try and pull everything. You know, that is a shot and a half out there to the bullpen at Fenway. And, of course, the triangle is 420 that's in right center. Uh, David Ortiz, all of the years where, you know, Poppy was uh, obviously a great hitter and a a future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. David took a lot of shots at that left field wall too. Many of his made it up over the monster, but he used that wall very effectively. Left-hand hitters have to do that or they don't survive here. You know, Boston, you know, the four sports, you guys got used to winning a lot. And all of a sudden, no Tom Brady anymore. And I'm looking at the Red Sox at 24 and 36. And if you kind of plan that out for 162 games, that would only been 65 wins for the Red Sox. What's going on with the team? Because you guys are so used to to winning and winning championships now. It's a very different environment. And it's a, it's a great point, Chris, because at the end of the day, you, you get a little bit spoiled. And, you know, the Bruins won a Stanley Cup in that run, too. The Celtics won an NBA championship in that run. So it was every every other season, it felt like you were ready for a parade, you know, on uh, downtown Boston and on the Charles River. And, and that's the way it really became. Now it's very different. I mean, right now the Red Sox are probably running maybe third in the city in terms of popularity, possibly fourth, wow. depending on whether you put the Celtics in there. That's incredibly strange. And, and you know, think about this, 2018, the Red Sox were the best team on the planet. I mean, they ran through the World Series. They beat everybody in sight, and they legitimately were the best team in the game. So that wasn't that long ago. This team, this version, has a lot of uh, a lot of prove it to me to the city of Boston, big time. And what's it going to be like having Alex Cora back? I think already he's made a huge difference in spring training. Uh, you know, first game of spring training, and I know you, you say, "Well, spring training doesn't mean anything." This year for the Red Sox, it actually does. There are seasons where, you know, how many games you win and lose does matter and how you play in the spring does matter. First game of spring training, Red Sox committed four or five errors. And he, he privately was steaming over that. He, he thought that was absolutely unacceptable, even in a great group league game. And since then, the Red Sox have barely made a mistake. He has shorted up. He's had constant meetings about it, constant drilling about it. Uh, he's been terrific so far, and he, he has, he's had a big impact on guys like Rafi Devers, who's an emerging all-star at third base, uh, and Eduardo Rodriguez, who's going to be our opening day starter against Baltimore April 1st, because, you know, he's, he's bilingual, and he, he, he's such a good communicator, and he's put the whole suspension behind him, I think, very, very effectively. What do you think the ball club will get out of Chris Sale? Great question. Nobody knows. Um, if he comes back by, let's say, July, 
I think that might be aggressive. And the one thing the Red Sox are not going to do, they've already announced this, they're not going to mess with Chris Sale trying to push him back quicker. It's all going to be on his body clock coming back from Tommy John. But, you know, I think he will come back quickly because he's in such amazing shape, you know, and he only weighs about 165 pounds anyway. And this guy goes to work. He works works like a, a dog. So I think I think Chris will come back quicker. The question is, what do you get out of him? And what shape is the ball club in? If the Red Sox are competitive at that point when he's ready to return, he could make a big impact in that second half. But I don't think they're going to push him at all if the Red Sox are not good and not competitive. I think they'll take his time, and maybe you see him on September 1st. Yeah, it's uh, you know the same thing in our division with Justin Verlander. It's like you know you know we now the 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 research shows that it's better to wait about fourteen months before you start pitching off the mound again versus twelve. And you start yep. doing the math, and you're like, you don't want to push these guys. Uh, they're so valuable, but it, sometimes you got to protect them from themselves. Yeah, and and I think Chris has been great. He's been reasonable from all accounts. He had one little setback because of a neck thing that was not really connected to his Tommy John. But, you know, what also what's going to be fascinating is what are the limits when he comes back? You know, you're coming back from radical surgery. I know it's been done a million times, but it's, it's an incredible thing to have happen to your arm and try to come back from. So there's, there's a lot of ifs, but I think it'll make a big difference if the Red Sox are competing as opposed to out of the race as far as what the club does with Chris. When you look at the AL East, is it Yankees winning it and everybody else is playing for second? Or do you give the Rays a shot? How, how, do, you, how do you break down the division? I've been around the, the American League East too long, Chris, to ever count out Tampa Bay. You know, they played in the World Series last year. Even though they lost Snell and even though they lost Charlie Morton, they're still so dangerous. Uh, Tyler Glass now is about as talented as any pitcher in the division. Uh, indeed, probably in the American League. He'll be their opening day guy. I think they're still such a pesky, hard-fighting team. They're well-managed. They're, they're a terrific organization. And they're pain in the neck, frankly. And you got to play them 19 times. And you look at their lineup and you go, well, nobody really scares you. But then why do they win 95 games every year? So I, I wouldn't count them up. But, yes, the Yankees are clearly the class of this division, no doubt about it. it, it great to see Aaron Boone, by the way, come back. And, and that comes from a Red Sox guy. You know, I'm yeah. really, happy, really happy to see him. He happens to be a great friend. I worked with him for several years at ESPN. He's a terrific manager, and, and I'm glad he's back. But, yeah, I think Toronto is the other team you got to look at because they've made, they've made some serious winter strides, and I think they could compete this year if the young kids grow up, if they take a big, a big leap forward this year. How odd is that going to be playing at a spring training facility? Yes, yeah. It's going to be a weird, weird year for them. And – you know, they, a lot of things are strange with, with Toronto. Their broadcast situation is really interesting. And, you know, deciding to simulcast their games, radio and television, there's no radio really. I mean, their games are on radio, but the TV crew is going to be doing it. Uh, it's, there's a lot of strange th- I think they could be the team, though, that could get off to a quick start and everybody's chasing, you know, come Memorial Day. So th- they're going to be a really interesting team in our division. I remember Chick Hearn did it. Uh, I think Vince Scully did it. I don't know if Johnny Most did it, but I, doing baseball and simulcasting it, it's the TV broadcast on the radio. I mean, as a play-by-play guy, how do you how do you satisfy the radio fans and the TV fans? Yeah, you can't. I, I, I wouldn't want to give it a try. I don't think there's a way you can do it. They're two different calls. They're two different mediums. I mean, 
There's so much that as a radio broadcaster, you need to bring that a, a television announcer doesn't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about, is that a high hopper to deep short? And he's got one foot on the grass and, you know, barely gets them to bang, bang, play at first. But you can see all that uh, on television. But on radio, you have to describe every detail down to the release of the pitch on every single pitch. And, I, you know, I think the A's guys are absolutely the best in the business. And I love listening to, to you know, Ken and Vince. Every time, I, every time I go home, I've got them on the radio when I leave my game at Fenway Park. And I'm, I'm not embarrassing them because, you know, I, I tell them this when I see them. But at the end of the day, it's a different art form. And it's really hard to do, you know, a simulcast and, and to do it successfully. How cool is Dennis Eckersley? Because whenever we have him on and whenever, whenever we get done with him, I'm like, this guy's like still one of the coolest guys in the game. He's the coolest guy. And here's the thing about Eck. I think he's been the coolest guy in the room since he was six. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing new for him. We just, just saw him the other night and you know, he popped in and we had to do some stuff uh, for our broadcast. And it, it's just so refreshing because it, here's the thing that, that even here in New England, as much as he's beloved here, sometimes gets missed. He is a baseball rat. He loves the game. He watches everything. I can ask him about details of an A's game on a Wednesday night in June that was played three Wednesdays ago. And he remembers everything that happened in that game because he worked our game and then he went home and watched the A's game. And that's Dennis. He's, he's an absolute nut about baseball. And it makes a guy like that easy to work with because you can throw anything off him. And because he's Dennis, you never know what's coming back. You know, it's very unpredictable and it makes it tremendously fun. Well, my whole family is from Beverly Farms and now we've kind of moved out into Beverly. And uh, I got to tell you, they were absolutely crushed when Tom Brady signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What was your first reaction seeing seeing Tom Brady in a Buccaneer uniform? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it's it's probably the same feeling that, that some guys get with the one that got away, you know, and, and she's walking down the street arm in arm with some other guy. And you thought there goes the love of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm cry- That's the feeling that most of new England had because Brady was, as, as you know, very much like Montana in the Bay area, only even more successful than that. And, and I know that might be sacrilegious. To say. Look, I grew up loving Joe Montana. He was my guy. I'm a new England kid, but, he was always on at four o'clock every Sunday, the late game for us and always beating people in the last two minutes with some spectacular comeback. But, but Tom Brady's better. And he's just the greatest quarterback of all time. And I think to lose him, even when, you know, it looked like he was starting to fade and then he goes down, he didn't get knocked out in the first round. You know, he didn't get knocked out in, in, the, in the NFC championship game. He won the whole darn thing again. And it's a, it's a weird feeling, Chris, because it's coupled with you're delighted for him because he's so beloved here. He walks on water in New England. He always will. But did he have to go and win the, the Super Bowl again? And it's, you know, Belichick, we wonder what's going through Bill Belichick's mind. I mean, how about the, spend, the spending spree the Patriots just had? I mean, that had to have something to do with we're going to get one because Brady won another one someplace else. And uh, yeah, everyone's happy for him, but at the same time, you're like, oh, what might have been? I mean, it, it, there's only been 55 Super Bowls, and he's played in 10 of them. It's sick. It's it's sick because 
you know, in the in the uh, NFC Championship game, he didn't even have a good game. You know, he threw three interceptions, and they won the game anyway. It's not like he had a spectacular Super Bowl, but he's magical because he breaks your back at the point where you can't afford to let the quarterback do that. He's so smart. I mean, he's he's uh, such a everybody. I mean, up here, what he did coming out of nowhere. Remember when he came out of Michigan. He was not a top commodity. Nobody thought Tom Brady was going to be spectacular. No, certainly not this, like the best of all time. And to do what he did here, um, it's like he made a deal with the devil, still playing at 43. He's going to be 47, 48 years old before he hangs it up. Mark my words. Uh, it's, I got into an elevator with him at a Boston uh, medical center about three years ago. And when he entered the elevator, I thought that, that's a 19-year-old kid who should be pumping gas, you know. It was Tom Brady at 40. I could not believe it, just could not believe it. Yeah, there's certain guys who just rise their team up. They're, they're, they, give, they, give, they give the team confidence. If I think of a, a Red Sox play, like Big Poppy, knowing Big Poppy was in the lineup, it gave you confidence as a ball club. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And you know, very famously, you know, when the Red Sox won the World Series, in 2013, you know, they were getting beat in St. Louis and he, he pulled everybody together in the dugout on national television and, and let them have it. Like we're better than this. We're not going down to this team. And like the next batter was Johnny Gomes and he cracked a three run Homer. And, you know, Johnny Gomes will tell you to this day, he felt like he could run through a brick wall after listening to big, big poppy in the dugout. So yeah, there, there are guys who have the touch, it's not that they say it a, a whole lot all the time. It's when they say it, and it's the words they choose. And, you know, Brady had – I mean, look at what Brady did with Gronkowski. At the beginning of the season, Rob Gronkowski was not playing well. He wasn't the real target in that offense. In the Super Bowl, he could have been the MVP. He was so good. And so much of that is working with the guy throwing him the football and the trust that they have. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program. I mean, you're one of the legends in our game. Thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate it. Be safe, and let's talk during the season. I look forward to it. Thanks, Chris. Great chatting with you. Good stuff. hes I mean, he's fantastic. He's a Syracuse guy. Come on. He's as good as it gets. I mean, all the big games that he has called over all these years. You know, he was like one of the original Marlins guy and called the first World Series for the Marlins. He's had an unbelievable career, and uh, it's always great to have him on. I mean, I, he's like he's like that kind of guy, Cody, that you could talk to, like, all day long. <laughs> the nicest guy. We've gotten to know his daughter. His daughter dates our own Alex Jensen. Um, yeah, he's uh, – Dave is really – Dave, as we like to say, is good people. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned um, just about everything with Boston, how we're having a whole conversation about Boston. Did you see the text I sent you of the fans? Oh, my God. That is (laughs) – you want trolling? (laughs) I – this is – this may be getting back at them because the Red Sox obviously beat the Dodgers in 2018 in the World Series. But if you're talking – one of the great trolling moves of all time. Go ahead, Cody. This is fabulous. There's a billboard in Boston, and it says, Dear Boston, thank you for Mookie Betts. 
sincerely, Dodger fans, and then it's another fan who has his Twitter handle, I'm assuming, or Instagram handle on there. And it just says, and it's 294 circled, which is the, n- the number in the handle. So, dear Boston, thank you for Mookie Betts. In all caps, thank you for Mookie Betts is. So, that's <laughs> really good. <laughs> and it's and the billboard is blue yeah. with the writing in white, the Dodger <laughs> uniform. Oh, my. Can you imagine? You're a diehard Red Sox fan, and you're driving by Fenway Park, and you see that? That's what I, t- I told you. Hein Bloom may be smarter than, than most of us. He ain't going to last. I mean, h- how many years? I mean, if you listen to that whole interview, I told you, my baseball magazine basically says every single team in 2020, if you can sit, if you continued the next four months at the same pace, what would your record have been? So the Red Sox for 60 games were 24 and 36. If they continued at that winning position, I should say that winning percentage, Red Sox would have only won 65 games. 65. I got to look to that, see the last time they did that. It was it was actually in this, well, the last the past decade, I think they only won 60 games in there. That might have been the Bobby Valentine year, to be honest. Uh, but they don't win that, you know, they don't go years where they, they only win 65 games, especially recently. And who do they have? J.D. Martinez? Devers? Renfro? I mean, this is not a stacked Boston Red Sox lineup anymore. They just won the World Series in 2018, and now you're like a 60-win team? Yeah. I mean, they still yeah. got they still got Xander Bogarts. They still have um, – Alex Verdugo. Verdugo, yeah, but I'm still, I'm still blanking on someone. But they lost Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, they lost uh, – you know, Chris Sells not going to start the year for them, so he's going to be out for a while. Uh, you do add Adam Adovino, and you do get Fran- Franchi Cordero from the – from the Royals, but you also lose Andrew Benintendi at the same time, and then they signed Marlon Gonzalez, Kike Hernandez, and Garrett Richards. Great, but it, and they're getting it's cool they're getting Eduardo Rodriguez back, who missed last year because of you know he didn't pitch because he has a heart condition and was and he was worried about COVID, so he didn't pitch. But he's going to be their opening day starter. Good, I'm glad to see Nathan he's back. Vivaldi? Yeah, if he can stay healthy, he's great because he throws a hundred, but he can't stay healthy. That's his big. Right. That's always been his problem. Well, we're going to be breaking down a little A's baseball next. Matt Kawahara from the San Francisco Chronicle will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Wow, looks like your guy Steve Kerr is in a little hot water. Uh, Something about a comment he made on a podcast about how he had more, pretty much he enjoyed coaching last year opposed to the last year where uh, Kevin Durant was here, and I saw Kevin Durant tweeted, that is hilarious. Um, and then Kerr did a whole thing saying how it was taken out of con- context about what he meant by it. So, Well, here's the deal. And I can tell you, because I actually had the word on it. Kevin Durant was miserable here and was not going to re-sign. And the beef with Draymond and the beef with other players, that stuff was real. They became dysfunctional. 
and Kevin Durant is tough to deal with. So basically what Steve Kerr said was, we got kicked around last year, but I enjoyed last year more than the year before with Kevin Durant. Makes yeah, sense. It was, it was not a good situation. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, you know, before I re- get to the ticket read here, I want to give you one update. The Maryland Terrapins are up 14-7 to over Alabama. So Adam Kalerich's Terps are uh, looking to make an upset over the number two ranked Alabama, number two seed Alabama. But uh, from the Yankee ticket prices, opening day, um, you can buy tickets for a cool $699 on Subhub right now. Six hundred. <laughs> But speaking of tickets, the Oakland A's are ready to welcome fans back to the Oakland Coliseum. In cooperation with Alameda County and Major League Baseball, the A's will open with fans on April 1st. Single-game tickets go on sale tomorrow, March 23rd. A number of policies and protocols will be in place for the safety of everyone as the A's look forward to welcoming back fans of the green and gold for the 2021 season. So tomorrow, March 23rd, single-game tickets will be going on sale. Not today, as I said earlier. Let's go. Get in the ballpark. It's next week. The Houston Astros. Can't wait. Can't wait. Going to be fabulous. Are you calling uh, Matt? I, I texted Matt when we were in break. said we went to break, so he's going to call in a few minutes. Okay. But, yeah, today, uh, Hazel Zazardo pitched without the glasses on. So, I don't know what the deal was with that. I, didn't get I know. Maybe it was funny. I heard during the broadcast they were talking about how uh, – Greg Maddox got LASIK done in between starts before. They don't. It was a joke more, but maybe Lazardo feels he doesn't need the glasses anymore. He pitched okay, and then did he have LASIK eye surgery? No, but they were joking like how Maddox did that in between starts, and they're and then they were joking about how maybe Lazardo did that because he wasn't wearing the uh, prescription glasses. But and then uh, Garrett came in the pitch to finish out for for uh, Lazardo, and then Puck came in and uh, he struggled a little bit, inning two thirds, giving up three runs, walking two, Do striking not out one. Hit the panic button. No. I'm not yet. I can't. I, I, I can't hit yet. Just yet. I'm happy he's out on the mound. I'm happy that he's feeling good. I'm happy he's a part of the team. When professional athletes get hurt and all they do is rehab, they're just they're they're absolutely miserable. I mean, it, it is a reality. You're away from the team. You're just rehabbing. You don't feel like you're a, a big part of the team. And it's tough mentally for these athletes when they get hurt. Matt joins us now here on A's Cast Live. How are you doing? Doing all right. How about you? Doing good. We're just talking about AJ Puck, where uh, Cody's mentioning that he had a little rough outing today, and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't care what the numbers are. I'm just happy AJ is on the mound. AJ's feeling good. Results to me are not the big thing here. The big thing I think for all of us is that he's healthy and he's pitching. Yeah, I mean, his line wasn't very good. Um, part of that, there were a couple of – his first inning was rough. There were a couple of uh, loops to right field that dropped that might have been caught. There was a, dry, a fly ball to center field at the wall. Mark Cannon kind of lost in the sun. That fell in for a double. Um, so that didn't help. But, yeah, he had a little bit of a command uh, issue to bounce the pitch. Um, his his velocity is what I think some people are, are keeping an eye on right now. Obviously, when he came up in 19, he was like 97 averaging with the fastball. And so far this spring, he's been like mostly 92, 93 in the two outings that we've seen. Um, I think he did hit 95 once today. So that's, I guess, an encouraging sign. But, yeah, I mean, they're – I mean, as you saw, he, he, he pitched one and two-thirds today. So they're, 
they're definitely still being cautious with him. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that says about the potential for him to like fill that fifth starter spot if if Byers can't go to start the season. But uh, but yeah, I mean the 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 overall that he's out there and is in his backing games is good for him and good for the A's. Yeah, and really pulling for him. And you know, Jesus Lazardo. I mean, he's got star written all over him. Is this the year he breaks out? Yeah, I mean, I think he thinks that, and I think the A's think that's definitely possible. Um, the, the, the funny thing about what they have said, or at least what Bob Melvin has said about his season last year, was that it was like surprising to him that he had rough outings. I, think, I mean, he's still 23. He was 22 for, for a lot of last season, and you, the expectations, I guess, or, or the level that they are you know, kind of presuming that he's going to perform at is just – I mean, it's, it's really high. Um, and I think his, it, it, the, the inconsistency that he had last year, uh, he said was a little bit just because of, you know, losing some touch on his, uh, on his breaking pitches at some time, uh, some points. Um, there were some starts where he had an issue where an inning would just snowball on him. Like he'd be cruising along for the first two or three. And then all of a sudden he'd hit a rough inning and it, it was just like, he couldn't uh, shut the tap off. And, that was actually one thing that popped up in his second start this spring was that happened again when uh, the last last outing against the Diamondbacks where uh, the third inning just kind of snowballed on him. And he said afterward that, yeah, that's something that uh, both he needed to fix after last year and that just can't happen again this season. So, um, so that's maybe something to keep an eye on. Uh, but overall, I think, I mean, he looked really good today. Um, his first start, obviously, was lights out against the Rangers. So, and obviously he's, Throwing that big, slow, looping 65 mile an hour curveball that hitters are going to have to keep an eye out for now. So, so that that's another wrinkle that could probably help him this year. So, if Puck and Fires are not ready to go, what's the rotation going to look like? Yeah, well, the first four is set, right? Uh, we don't know who's going to be the opening night starter yet, but yeah, Bassett and Luzardo are probably the top two candidates there. And you have Mania, who's looked pretty good uh, so far this spring. Montas is supposed to be uh, ready to go, even though he got a little bit of a later start. So, um, yeah, if Fires can't go and if Puck isn't filling that spot, I think it's it's probably either Dalton Jeffries or Cole Irvin. Um, Jeffries, they know a little bit better, but uh, Irvin has looked pretty good this spring. Um, I think he's, I want to say, he pitched in relief the other day um, and he threw. The last four innings of the game, he didn't get, uh, didn't give up a run. He gave up two hits, and obviously, you know, you're coming at the end of the game, so you're facing uh, some of the reserves who are, could be minor league guys. But overall, I think they've been pretty impressed by him, and he's like, he's the control lefty. Um, his stuff isn't overpowering, but um, he's got kind of that typical starter four pitch mix um, type of thing, and that wasn't really how. He, he started mostly in the minors, but um, his very slight uh, major league uh, experience with the Phillies has been a relief. And um, we've talked to him a couple of times. He acknowledged that that really was not his forte, and he he uh, he has not figured out yet how to succeed in that role. So, um, he, you know, he said he's it's something that he's open to if that's the way that they want to use him this year. But he's built, I think, mostly to start. So he, that's that's an option too. Yeah, what scares me is he's only started three games in his career. Yeah, yeah I think um, you talk about Irvin. Yeah. Yeah, well, he uh, – I think most of his minor league experience has been starting, right? Um, so 
so he's got that. Um, but you know, he stretched out to the point where uh, if they needed to, to use him to start a game a couple of times, I think he would be ready to do that. Um, we said Jeffries is another possibility. Um, a guy who started one game for them last year. Um, so I think, I mean, they have options if they need to fill that fifth starter spot. And I think, I think the, the plan is still to, um, when, if, if, and when fires is ready to go to, to bring him into that spot too. But there, I mean, one thing that they have to keep in mind also, um, and one, another role that you might see some of these guys in is that, um, Melvin has said that even to start the season, you know, they'll have their five starters, but he feels like they also need, uh, at least one guy, maybe two in the bullpen who can pitch three innings, uh, in relief, um, if they need to. So kind of that swing guy. So even if Jeffries or Irvin isn't the fifth starter to start out, um, they still have a, you know, they could still make that uh, season opening roster as kind of that swing guy, um, which sort of maybe loses a little bit of importance as the, as the year goes on and starters are a little bit more built up um, and going deeper, but at, at least to start, they want to have that guy ready. And, you know, before you know it, we're starting games sir, on April 1st. And, and one of the battles has been backup catcher. Who do you think wins it? That's a real tough one to call right now. I think that's probably that's probably the hardest position to, to project. I would say just because, I mean, Aaron Garcia is probably he's had a, a well-rounded spring. I mean, he came in and they read about his defense, right? That's kind of his thing. Is he he had the the good pitch framing numbers and they like what he brings defensively. And the question was like, how is he going to hit? Um, and he's he's been okay. He's put together some like. Uh, his numbers have been decent this spring, but um, hit some line drives. Austin Allen is a guy who's he's the left-handed hitter who has a little bit more power probably and spent the first half of last season with him, uh, with, uh, with the A's. But uh, actually one really interesting thing about him was that when you look at the pitch framing metrics, um, at least the ones that that cast baseball savant provides uh, his, his number of, or percentage of, of like framed strikes called strikes uh, in the, in the short time that he was with the A's last season was uh, the rate was like among the best of any major league catcher who caught as many pitches as he did. So they think he still has kind of work to do defensively, but, um, but obviously there's, there's uh, promise there. So it's really hard to pick between those two guys. And then, you know, if in an emergency, they have, they have Carlos Perez back who's got, more major league experience than uh than anybody else i think catching wise on their roster so um so yeah that, that's a tough one to call right now but it's i think it's either alan garcia and i don't know it's I, I i couldn't tell you right now what they're thinking so what is the alternate site gonna look like this time around i think fairly similar to last year uh they're gonna be in stockton this year instead of san jose um which I mean, similar distance away. They, I think the the numbers capped at 28 now. So it might be a little different in that, like last last year, they had kind of a mix of guys who were really ready to to be that depth for them uh, at the major league level if they needed to. But then they also brought some of the the younger prospects, like like uh, Soderstrom, Tyler Soderstrom, the 2020 first round pick. He was at the all site last year just because they wanted to get him some sort of structural experience. Um, and I think they did that with a couple other younger prospects too. 
And that might not be as much of a priority this year because there is going to be a minor league camp and there presumably is going to be a minor league season, even though both of them are pushed back. So, so the all camp group is probably going to be mostly or more guys that are triple a level um, ready to, to be called out if, if needed. One big difference is, is that it sounds like there's going to be a possibility for games against like other alt sites. So um, when I talked to uh, Ed Sprague, the farm director, about it the other day, he said that they're looking into setting up some games against uh, the Giants alt site group, which, I mean, the, the, the bonus there is that they get to be competitive, right? You can only be so competitive when you're facing uh, other A's prospects and you're seeing the same guys day after day. So um, just, to, just to be looking across the field with somebody in a different uniform, I think, is um, something that will benefit that group, which supposedly is only going to be up and running for, you know, the first month before, uh, before the AAA season gets going. Yeah, it is just so sad. I mean, these guys, by the time they get playing, we're talking about the minor leaguers, by mm-hmm. the time they get playing, if it happens on time, they've been away from the game for 20 months. I mean, to have your career basically taken away from you, and these are the years of growth, I don't think people in the sport, and I don't know, if you've talked to anybody about this, I don't think anybody really knows what their minor league system is going to look like going forward for the next couple of years. Yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I've, I've talked to, uh, to Sprague a couple of times, uh, the A's director of player development. Um, the last time was just a few days ago. And one thing that we were talking about was the fact that uh, the sort of the national publication like baseball America and will be pipeline are really down on the state of the A's farm system right now. And, he kind of like half jokingly like, well, their evaluators must be better than I am because I haven't seen these guys in more than a year. So, um, so, so they don't, yeah. So for the, the prospects that weren't um, at the alternate site or at instructional league last year, yeah, they haven't seen them in more than a year. So they don't know what kind of progress they made. They, they're not really totally sure what sort of shape they're in. Um, so that's going to be, I mean, he, he kind of acknowledged it's going to be curious. It's going to be interesting to see what, that group looks like when they get to Arizona for minor league camp, which starts up in the first um, week of April. I think the the biggest concern or the biggest, I don't know if concern is the right word, but the, the biggest question mark was going to be for not necessarily the prospects who are like pushing the potential, like call up the, the AAA guys, the depth guys, and not necessarily the super young guys who are just getting started in their pro careers, but, but like the middling guys, like the double A group, um, who that was kind of their time to either make the jump or at least like prolong their run for a little bit. And so that like that middle group was the one that was going to get hit the hardest just because of the timing. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, just what the system looks like when those when those guys get into camp. I think um, they're supposed to have something like 120 minor leaguers showing up in Arizona for that, uh, the camp that gets started in uh, early April. So, yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Ed's right. I mean, how the hell does anybody – I mean, I, I understand. Like today on MLB.com, they came out with ranking the farm systems. And I understand people got to still do their job, and they still got to write articles, and they still got to create content. But it, it, it is pretty ridiculous that it's going to be – close to two years you haven't seen these guys and you're trying to rank them against other franchises it seems highly ridiculous seems like a difficult job i think i mean the a's rankings 
uh, as much as you want to read into that, I think we're just they took a hit because the guys who were their top prospects were Murphy, Luzardo, Puck, and those guys are either in the majors now or at least pushing to be in in Puck's case. And um, they haven't drafted super high in the last few years, so they, there hasn't been a whole lot of like influx of big name prospects. Um, the Valerie seem to like Soderstrom, but uh, you know they they had the two back to back first round picks with um, Austin. Austin Beck hasn't really kind of broken through to this point, and like everybody else, didn't have a season last year. Um, Kyler Murray is not playing baseball right now, so so they uh, yeah they, they're I think just the I mean to your point it's 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 got to be hard to to evaluate one system against the other, but. Uh, the the depth of the A system, I think, right now is, is what people are questioning, especially in the pitching. Yeah, I'd rather be going to the playoffs year in year out than be ranked high as having a great farm. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure they sort of go hand in hand, but in cycles. So they're definitely in the the first cycle right now. You know, Matt Olson last year still hit home runs, but had trouble making contact. He came on our show and said that, you know, he got too wrapped up in video. He got too wrapped up into his own head. He's having a fantastic spring, and I'm not going to be shocked. Would you be shocked if we're going to see 40-plus home runs, 100-and-something RBIs, another gold glove, and him being a candidate, if not winning the MVP? I mean, he's got five home runs in, like, 12 spring games, right? So if he, if he stays on that uh, pace, then, yeah, he'll be around there. Um no, he's looked great. I mean, his, his all the kind of reviews of um, of his swing so far this spring are that he just like he he looks like he's on time with everything. And I think that was um, that was the big thing for him last year was that um, for some some you know specific reasons that he has specified a little bit, but not uh not really gone into too much detail was basically like he he wasn't getting himself into um into the the hitting position that he wanted and it was really hard he kind of had to um he wasn't giving himself as much of a chance to to be on time to pitches and so Darren Bush the hitting coach said that he you know they worked on his uh, body positioning a little bit to keep him more balanced um they fixed the way that he like positions his bat a little bit obviously he's got his hands are in such a, a unique position but um, but last year it wasn't in the position that was creating the best kind of path of his swing through the zone. So, so they kind of addressed that over the off season, just working on it through video. And I mean, all the, the early results are, they're looking really good. Um, and to, uh, he still, like you said, he still hit the home runs last year. I think one of the signs, uh, one of the, the notable things was that he still drew a lot of walks too. So it seemed like he was seeing the ball. It was just the, like, mechanism the mechanics of the swing weren't really allowing him to do what he was doing before so seems like he has found some things to fix there um and on the defensive side i mean he's he's always got that i i think uh he'll he'll be in that talk that conversation every year um it's just whether he uh whether they they pick him or one of the is evan white evan white with the mariners won it last year yeah, he, he's 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 always going to be in that conversation. Him and Matt Chapman, both guys are so fabulous. Mm. And I, I'm I'm starting. You know, you just didn't know about the Jed Lowry comeback. You know, we had Jed on when he first signed, and he said he was healthy, but you don't know. Just what will this mean to the team if Jed Lowry can get back to being what Jed Lowry was the last time he was with the A's? Uh, well, it would be 
I mean, it would be huge. I, well, I think the the baseline was whether he was going to be able to make the team. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that he is not going to make the team. And the question was whether he can play second base, not even every day, but semi-regularly. Um, and Bob Melvin said after the game today, he didn't even think he was going to be running him out there at second base as much as he is, but played second base today. He's going to play second base tomorrow. Um, he, there was a, he t- actually started a pretty sweet double play today. It was uh, the infield was shifted over, but he had to move a little bit um, to his left. And so kind of pivot quickly to, to make a, a longer throw to second base and got it started fine. Um, so defensively, I mean, he's looked pretty mobile for, I mean, he wasn't the most kind of rangy defender to begin with, but he's looked pretty good out there and it, doesn't seem like that is going to be a hindrance at all the defensive part of it um so so that baseline is already uh, checked it seems like of, of him being able to actually possibly hold down that position which kind of really stabilizes uh some of the further uh, further down spots in the on the roster in, in terms of their bench and what they can do with um with guys like tony kemp uh chad pinder who might have had to platoon at second base there if, if they didn't have a, a more regular guy now they're freed up to um to go maybe play in the outfield or be used uh in a pinch hit pinch run situation um so there's more flexibility there if you have second base kind of locked down a little bit um and then on top of that if you're talking about Lowry getting back to some of the numbers that he posted in what 18 um yeah that would be uh just obviously a, a huge contribution for them just because you know, last season, second base was kind of the big question. And for the first half until they brought in Tommy Lestella, there weren't a whole lot of contributions out of that spot. Um, and Lowry is, you know, he's a switch hitter, so they can start him against right or left-handers. Um, he's not somebody that you're going to be plugging probably into the uh, into the, the very bottom spots of the lineup. But he's, we've seen him hit second uh, a fair amount of times this, uh, this spring, so that's a that's a possibility. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of options that he offers if he's healthy and can can be in the lineup regularly. You know, this for good teams. At some point, spring training gets old, and you want to get this thing started. You know, there's that point to where we're ready to rock. Let's go. We're looking to defend our title. Looking to go to the postseason for the fourth straight year. Are, are the A's players at that point? It's kind of hard to tell, to be honest with you. I think uh, it would be easier if we could, you know, actually get in the clubhouse and, and talk to guys semi-regularly. Um, I think, uh, you know, every, as, as far as the guys that we talked to on, like, the Zoom calls, everybody seems to be playing it pretty cool and uh, just kind of taking the uh, taking a steady approach to spring. But uh, but the pitchers especially, I mean, Jesus Luzardo said, today after his outing he feels like he can make his next start in the regular season if he needed to he's going to get one more spring outing and it could be it could they might not even pitch him in another cactus league game it might be a simulated um simulated start but he he feels like he's ready to go physically is what he said so yeah i think there's that sense of what you after he spends what's it been a month um down here and uh and everything seems to be i mean there still are a handful of of things to sort out um, at the bottom spot of the, or so those last few roster spots and the starters, obviously something they're going to need to figure out. But, um, but overall, I mean, they're, 
they do need to, I think they could use this last week to get a little bit healthier, uh, especially in the outfield. Uh, Ramon Liriano obviously hasn't played for a few days. He had a, a bit of a side muscle issue. Um, Stephen Piscotti had a cortisone shot in his wrist uh, a few days ago. He's supposed to be back in the lineup tomorrow. So there are a, a couple areas where they can still get a little bit healthier before the season starts. But uh, but generally, I would say yeah, after after about a month down here, you're you're kind of ready to get out and get some uh, some different scenery and get going. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm ready to get back and uh, get in that Coliseum for opening day. Hey, great stuff, and we'll we will see you on opening day. Sounds great. See you there. Matt Kawahara of the San Francisco Chronicle. Now your beat writer for the Oakland Athletics. Coming up here, a lot of fun. Harold Reynolds has great stories. You're going to get Bo Jackson. You're going to get Ricky Henderson. And, it, and, and right, Cody, it will not disappoint. A lot from Harold, and uh, I think I think Ace fans will like who he who he likes to win the AL West as well. Yeah, now so, you know some of these guys they don't pay attention. Harold, Harold, Harold loves baseball. Harold watches the league like you know. People have told us how much that this guy, how much time he puts in, and you know when you're doing those shows, you know he does the morning show, and then once the season flips, he's on in the afternoon, and they're watching all the games. Yeah, Harold knows the A's are good. And he's going to tell you next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. Harold Reynolds was a good player, had a good career. And then now has had an excellent career as a broadcaster. You know, Amelia, our new voice of the stadium, public address announcer, she was a producer at MLB Network before she came to the A's. And Harold was the kind of guy that was driving in his car, coming into the studios and telling everybody, hey, can you get me this cut? Can you get me this home run? Can you... I mean... He's a junkie. He is a baseball junkie. And then he played. He, I mean, he played with Griffey. He played with A Rod. He played with some great players. He was an All Star. He was a Gold Glove winner. Led the American League one year in stolen bases when Ricky Henderson was hurt. He's got all these stories. Bo Jackson, Ricky Henderson, Griffey. It's 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 always a pleasure to have Harold Reynolds on the program. Well, he's a former All-Star. He's a former Gold Glove winner. He's one of the best-dressed guys in television. The great Harold Reynolds <laughs> here on A's Cast Live. How you been? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm just excited we're playing baseball. I'm excited we got fans in the stands. I mean, this is uh, far better than what we went through last season. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a nice, uh, nice feel. You know, I went to the World Series last year, and just to have 10,000 people at those games uh, changed the life a little bit. So now we're starting from Jump Street, which is great. So, yeah. You know, I, I thought that deal, that, that deal was tough for the Rays. I mean, if you think about it, you don't see fans all season long. You're in your bubble down at Petco Park. 
Then all of a sudden you show up to play the Dodgers who've been hanging out in Arlington for weeks, same clubhouse, same hotel. How much did you think that affected the World Series? Oh, no doubt. Huge advantage for the Dodgers. I mean, just, you know, you think about it. It's been over a year since they played in front of fans. So Tampa had to adjust to that. You got family coming in, the nervousness of having a crowd. You know, all that definitely. But the huge advantage, I think, because it was a new stadium, and even though Tampa was in the American League, how many teams went through Arlington and played there last year? You know, so it wasn't like they had they were used to that stadium. So the Dodgers had a huge advantage being there, you know, for two weeks and then playing the World Series. So, yeah, that was a big advantage. You know, we used to talk about the young Oakland A's core. They're not young anymore. And there's a lot of confidence coming out of the clubhouse. How do you see the A's in 2021? The West is wide open. And, you know, you got to put the A's right up there with anybody. They're right at the top. And particularly, you know, I, I think Houston's going to step back a little bit. We'll see what happens with the happens with the Angels. They look like they're playing a little bit better baseball. But for me, the team to beat is Oakland out west right now in the American League West. That's the team to beat. Well, I'll tell you what. You mentioned the Angels. It finally happened. And I'm, I'm like, you're wasting this guy's talent. We finally got to see Otani pitch and hit in the same game. I want it to be – I mean, I think he, he's a marvel. Watching him, I know we're supposed to be against him, but he's he's – He's, he's got a skill set that's one of the greatest skill sets we've ever seen in baseball. Harold, I want to be like Little League. I want to pitch and hit every game. I, I'm with you. I never understood the whole, he's not going to hit for three days before he pitches. I mean, if you go to a college baseball game, or Little League likes to pack the home. Guys do it, and he's going to be athlete to do that. So, I agree. I, I think it's great for the game, for the fan base, for the following. And we just don't see that. So, hey, I, I want to see Bo Jackson when Bo's healthy and, and get the most out of it. And it's the same thing with Otani. Get the most out of him while you can. Is Bo Jackson the greatest athlete you ever played against? He's got to be. I'll tell you a story. Um, you know, I, I was a switch hitter. And so Bo, at the time, he'd had his Bo commercial, and he'd already thrown me out with that throw from left field that everybody talks about. <laughs> and I, he and I bonded over that because he came back talking so much trash to me that we became friends. And so I go to the Seahawks Raiders game and he runs over Bosworth and he outruns everybody 99 yards for touchdown. The next year he comes to Seattle and I'm out taking early hitting and I hit left-handed then I hit right-handed both both there. And he, he, it's his turn to hit in the cage when they start hitting. And he goes, you're no switch hitter. Bo know everything. Bo can switch hit. And I'm Give me a break. So he's hitting home runs, doing his thing. And next thing you know, last swing, he hops over on the left side and he hits the ball into the fifth deck in the old kingdom. Now, I played there 10 years. I saw five balls go up there my whole career. Bo was one of them. And he drops the bat down and goes, Bo, no switch hitting. <laughs> he walks off. <laughs> oh, God. There, Matt Millen told us a story because I, I used to work for the Raiders on the Raiders broadcast. And Matt Millen told us a story about how down in Los Angeles, all of a sudden this guy shows up. They don't know who he is. And he's running over everybody. And this is when the Raiders were, at, you know, winning Super Bowls and they were really good. And and no one knew it was Bo Jackson. They, they Al Davis didn't tell anybody Bo Jackson was going to be at practice. And so these guys are out there getting trucked by this guy. And they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, no. That's so, why. He was, he was, I mean, I, 
You think he? You think if he doesn't get hurt, he could have been a Hall of Famer? Uh, no doubt, no doubt about it. In, in sports, you know, had he stayed healthy and had he chose to play baseball early on and even committed to it like he did after the leg injury, there's no doubt. And if you put Bo in this generation right now, where strikeouts didn't matter, and it was just a matter of exit velocity and how far can you hit it, he'd have been a marvel in today's game, a marvel. Plus, the other thing I think that's happening with the generation that we're in now, they're more open to things like Otani. You know, Otani would have been made to make a decision back in the day, you know, and now he's he's able to do both. And I, I think it's great for the sport. I think that's the advancement of where we're at now. And, you know, for guys that have that ability, this is the time to play and do all the different things you can do. You know, there's a lot of talk up in uh, your old ball club, the Mariners, about manipulating service time. And I always say, man, if you drafted Peyton Manning or you drafted Michael Jordan, you're not sitting them out because of future contracts. And I think about Griffey. I think about A-Rod. Just what, what's, what's your opinion on manipulating the service time and keeping arguably your best player in the minor leagues? Well, you're trying to get me in trouble. That's what you're trying to do. I see how it works. No, um, I think when a guy's ready to go to the big leagues, he's ready to go. And that's an assessment that, I leave in the front offices, but I mean, I, I play with Griffey, so I have a, a biased opinion because, you know, like Kelnick, you're talking about, uh, he's not supposed to make the club and he hadn't been past double A, but Junior joined us at, at 17 for batting practice out of high school and he put on a show. And so within a year and a half, he's now in Major League Spring Training and he's just there, like every kid they bring up, want to see what they can do. And after he's two or three weeks into showing everybody what he can do, he's the best player on our team. And so they, they bring him up. So when you're ready, I just think you got to come up when you're ready and you worry about service time and everything else later. But I think with the new CBA coming, I think we'll see a change in how uh, everybody kind of approaches this and even the language that a lot of people use. Uh, and, but, you know, baseball's different. You got to make sure a guy's ready and, uh, it, it, it's an individual thing, and if I think if Kelnick's ready, if he, if he proves he's ready, then he deserves to go up. That's as simple as that. You know, I always say, Harold, about Griffey, he wasn't staying in San Bernardino that long. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I always say that he skipped three years of big leagues by going to high school. He was very good. You think he could have played? You think he would have been a big leaguer while in high school? Well, if you look back in the day when um, – when Tim McCarver and those guys, when they add you to the roster, they're 16, 17 years old. You know, I mean, when he was 18, Dick Williams fought to keep him on the big league roster. He wanted him in the big leagues after he saw him working out. But uh, he has some things to learn, I mean, clearly. But how much better do you get in in one year? I, I think you probably could have done it. I mean, A-Rod came up at 18. Yeah. He was ready. Yeah, they were such amazing young talents. Uh, when you look at the game and some potential rules that could be changing, where are you on shifting in baseball? I think we got to put a shift rule in. I think it's a terrible product right now when left-handed hitters are hitting ground balls and the resulting in outs with somebody standing in deep right field. We're not playing softball. This is not Rover. I give all the analytics credit for figuring it out, but I thought that with this, there'd be the players are making adjustment, hit the ball the other way, 
and take advantage of the hole. They're not rewarded for it, so therefore they're trying to hit balls over people. And I think it's a bad product. We gotta we gotta change it. So I'm only for a shift rule. The thing they're adding in the minor leagues right now might push that forward. But I think you put two infielders on each side of the, the of second base, one on the left side, the other two on the right side, and second base becomes a dividing line. They gotta have the feet on the back end of the dirt, and we gotta open some holes up and put the ball back in play. Because I think with this swing that we've created now, where guys are trying to hit everything in the air, it's resulted in a lot of swing and miss. So the ball's not in play. At last year in 60 games, left-handed hitters on ground balls in the big leagues, over 14,000 grounders, they hit 191. That's not good. You know, and, and so we've got to change that to get more action. And the last point on this is I think by changing a shift rule, you also change the athlete. I think you, you no longer take that third baseman and put him in deep right field and call him a second baseman, but now you got to put an athlete at second that's got to cover some ground and just puts more athleticism back in the game. So I, I think those are the, the that that's all my points behind why we need to put in a, a shift rule. What do you think you would have hit against the shift on the turf at the kingdom? <laughs> I'd have owned them, but they'd have never done that to me. You know, I, I, I don't think that would have put that on, but I mean, not me. I, I was, I was, I was good, but I mean, I'm looking at a guy like Wade Boggs or Tony Gwynn or Rock Carew or George Brett or, and I can go on and on and on. You just didn't play baseball that way. And if guys saw a hole or a weakness, they were, they were going for it. In 1987, all-star game in Oakland, my first all-star game, we're now enamored with home run derby, right? That's our Monday uh, excitement. That, oh, home run derby. See who can hit a ball as far as they can. But it used to be a skills competition. And we had Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn, National League and American League, representing the leagues. And they put targets up around the field. And these guys were taking target practice to see if you could hit a target during batting practice. That was the thing. Boom, he hit one off the six hole. Boom, there's in the five hole. Can he pull one through the four hole? Yes. You know, that type of stuff. They just showed off their back control. It was amazing. Let's end on this. You've got a great Ricky Henderson story about you and Ricky and you, I believe, leading the American League in Stolen Bay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody asks me this story. I love it. I'll gladly tell it, especially to the fans. <laughs> You know, Ricky's always talking in the third person, and I'm sure you guys have got to know him a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, he may be playing cards, and they go, Ricky got a sweet hand. Ricky gets ready to right now. You know, everything's third person with him. And so that year, 1987, it's the only time in the 80s that Ricky did not win a stolen base title. And he's still in at that time like 100 bases a year. So I ended up winning that year with 60. I think Ricky got hurt in May or something like that, and he already had 30 in May. So I win on the last day. Willie Wilson had 59. I had 59. I steal a bag. Willie Wilson doesn't. I'm the greatest of all time. You know, I, <laughs> I win the title, right? So I get home the next day. Season's over, and my phone rings. No caller ID in those days. Hello? Henderson here. What's going on? I'm thinking he's calling the – congratulate me he goes 60 stolen bases you ought to be ashamed Ricky has 60 at the all-star break click and hung up the phone 
Cooperstown and you know Ricky and I are tight. He he signs a picture for me, and it has you know stolen base champ Ricky Henderson. I love it. It's on my wall at work. That so. is classic. Well, speaking of your work, you guys. I mean, we don't even go anywhere else for baseball coverage. Everything is on MLB Network. If you're a baseball fan, that's where you go. You guys are previewing the A's tonight at five o'clock. Can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work, Harold. I don't think anybody's better than you baseball on television. Well, I appreciate it, man. Go green and gold. You know, got to love the A's, those uniforms. And I just love the way they make adjustments. One year, it might be the bullpen's going to win it for them. Next year, they're going to trade for starters. You know, they, they, they're creative. So they're the team to beat out West, my friend. Thank you. Well, hey, let's uh, be safe and let's talk later in the season. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bye-bye. Harold. Harold Reynolds. I, 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 I think he's my favorite on the network. I love me some Al Leiter. I like John Smoltz. I like Dan Plesak. I like Millar. I just, Carlos Pena. Blah, blah. Uh, but I do think my favorite is Harold. Well, I can't wait to text Brian Kenny and let him know. Well, for <laughs> players. <laughs> Brian Kenny's not a player. Oh, all right. Well, now you now you qualify it with that. Okay, that, that makes more sense. Ex player. BK's gonna be a little upset still, but it's all right. BK for Oh, no, my guy BK. You know how much I love Dan O'Dowd too. <laughs> I uh, love them all. I uh, I ended up looking up the uh, that that nineteen eighty seven season where Harold finished with sixty stolen bases. Uh, Ricky finished with uh, forty one but he only played in uh, 95 games. So he had 41 steals in 95 games. Harold had 60 steals in 160 games. So Ricky probably would have passed him by uh, – yeah, he's right. Ricky would have had 60 steals. It doesn't matter. Harold, you go to his Wikipedia page, says AL stolen base leader, 1987. You can't take it away from him. I just love that Harold in, in that story told two, told two stories, and both guy he, he talked about referred to themselves in the third person. Bo no switch hitting. Bo, Ricky got a good hand. Ricky got a cool hand. So both guys, two of the best athletes you've probably ever seen in each sport in the NFL and baseball, both referred themselves in the third person, which is, it's pretty funny. Well, think about what he said there about Bo Jackson, that he could have been a Hall of Famer in football and baseball. He was an all-star in both, but, of course, hurt the hip against the Bengals down in L.A. Bo Jackson doesn't get hurt. Is he a Hall of Famer in both sports? Because when Bo showed up, I mean, they they moved Marcus Allen, who, back to fullback, who was a Hall of Fame running back because Bo was better. No disrespect to Marcus, but Bo Jackson was. Bo Jackson walked out on the field and was the best athlete in the NFL how big he was, his speed, and he had no training camp. He went straight from baseball to the Raiders. It was incredible. I, I don't know anybody that could do that. I don't either, and I saw something during the interview that I wanted to bring up before we did buying or selling. Zach Gallen, the best pitcher on the uh, on the Diamondbacks, he was supposed to start today, and he got scratched because they thought – Oh, he did it. You know, he hurt his uh, four. I think it was like a forearm issue or something, a strain. And they thought, oh, he did it warming up. 
Nope, he did it uh, swinging a bat, not throwing. More evidence that we need the designated hitter one, one of the best pitchers last year in baseball and the best pitcher on the Diamondbacks, hurt himself swinging a bat in a game where he wasn't even going to probably swing a bat. But that's real baseball. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a forearm strain or forearm issue for him. So it's just I, – I just – I can't take this. It takes away the strategy of the game. <laughs> uh, Shohei Otani just let off in a game and pitched in the same game on Saturday or yesterday for the Angels. Um, this is something we want to see him do. Not – you know, the last guy to do it when the DH was around in baseball – the hit for himself instead of having a DH is when Bumgarner did it against the A's back in 2016. We haven't seen it since. I think we're going to see Shohei Otani do it as the DH, obviously. But the lead off and all that, I mean, it's a buying or selling question, but I wanted to bring up the bat thing because it, to see Zach Gallon have a forearm issue from swinging a bat, it just, it just makes my blood boil, as people say. All right, buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so we'll start out with the uh, Shohei Otani one. So Sunday, like I mentioned, Shohei Otani did something with the Angels we haven't seen, and it hasn't happened in a long time. And he uh, he pitched and hit in the same game, but he led off the game, as I mentioned. This is the first time I think we saw him do this so far with the Angels. We've seen this happen a few times in baseball back in the day. With The last guy I think to do it was uh, Cesar Tovar, but I haven't really looked at anything since where a guy pitched in a game and hit leadoff. But to see Otani do it, a guy that's actually killing the ball in spring, he's hitting only 636 in spring training. I know it's spring training, but Shohei Otani is a different animal when it comes to hitting and pitching. So I ask you, buying or selling, Shohei Otani will pitch and hit in a game during the season. Take off the training wheels. This guy can hit and pitch at the same time. And you know what? The best, the best, the best role for him might just be like Mark Kotze in college. Mark Kotze played center field and came in and closed games out for the national championship, Cal State Fullerton, Titans. That might be the best role for him. Hit all game. Go warm up real quick and come in and close the game out. Yeah. I mean, pitching him once every six days, I don't find great value in that. He uh, Apparently, he hit 102 on the gun yesterday, too. 102 when they were talking about him. Oh, he's only throwing 90 in spring training. And then uh, he ramped it up 12 miles per hour faster uh, yesterday in his start. So, I think it's safe to say Shohei, Shohei Otani's ready to get the season going along with a lot of these other guys. So I want to see him hit. I'd love to see him lead off. I want to see him lead off in the game as well. So we'll see if we get a chance to see that. Now, speaking of another quality pitcher, uh, quietly one of the best pitchers for a quote anymore is Zach Granke. Granke, the Astros opening day starter versus the A's, was asked if it meant anything to him to start opening day. While Zach Granke, in typical Zach Granke fashion, gave a fantastic answer, here's what Zach Granke had to say. Not really. Never, never cared about it. Still don't care about it. It gives you a better chance of making more starts during the season. So that's about the the main positive about it for me, is you got a better chance of making 32, 33, 34, or 35 starts. 
So Zach Greinke uh, doesn't really care about starting opening day. Now, a little context, uh, this will be Zach Greinke's fifth opening day assignment. He started for the Royals in 2010 and the D-backs in 16, 17, and 19. He has never won an opening day going 0-1 with an 8-20 ERA. Buying or selling, Zach Greinke doesn't care about starting on opening day. He acts kind of tired. That's just, this, uh, act, this act of, I just don't care about anything, it's kind of tired. I get, I, I get where you're coming from. I think that it's just Granky's personality. Uh, that's just how he is. I don't think he really cares. I mean, they did an article in The Athletic about him. I didn't get a chance to read all of it, but they, they interviewed like 15 of his former catchers and just like some of the quotes he would say to him and like how he'd go out to the mountain when they'd come out that and do a mountain visit. He'd ask him about fantasy football or tell him how he's beating him in fantasy football. Like, he's just, I don't know, he's just a different cat, man. Like, he's just wired different. And, you know, they're, he had his he had his issues with, you know, social stuff, you know, like social anxiety, you know, I believe. So, I mean, I understand why he's a little different. But uh, what was it? The, the no-hitter is the one we always heard about where he didn't care about ever throwing a no-hitter and never really cared about it or thought about it. Now we're talking about him not caring about starting opening day, we'll eventually find something that Zach Greinke does care about. Now, over the weekend, we had a college basketball taking over the headlines as we saw a lot of upsets in their in March Madness and ended a lot of people's brackets, but we also saw one college baseball program make headlines. Kumar Rocker of the uh, Vanderbilt Commodore struck out 14 batters on Friday evening. The very next day, teammate Jack Leiter, son of Al, Struck out 16, and uh, well, he threw a no-hitter. It was the first no-hitter thrown by a Vanderbilt Commodore pitcher since Kumar Rocker in 2019 versus Duke. He walked the first batter of the game, and then he just settled in. Now, Al also threw a no-hitter in the majors back in 1996, pitching for the Marlins. Jack is considered the sixth-best prospect in the upcoming draft, and the Pirates had the first pick, so they have a choice between him and Kumar Rocker. Al was drafted in the second round out of high school. Buying or selling Jack Leiter will be a better pitcher than his dad. Selling. I just, the odds are in my favor. Jack <laughs> Leiter had a great career. He did. I'm just hoping that this kid, if uh, selfishly, if the Pirates would take him, I hope he, I, I always say, people ask me about him. Even Jack Sorensic asked me about him when I did that panel in my college. He asked, he, we're talking about him, I said, I just think he has the better makeup because of who his dad was. I think having a dad to pitch in the major leagues is a huge advantage for you. So I, I'm hoping that he has a good career, but you never know. He could be the next Mark Appel for all we know. He could be great in college and get drafted and never make it past Double A. So, well, I, but I think he'll, I think he'll be fine because his dad's Al, and I don't think Al let him, uh, you know, fal- falter. So we got plenty of time to figure out. But Vandy, man, Vandy is really good at baseball, as we talked about. Factory. Uh, as we talked about with Tony Kemp, they're uh, they're a factory down there. So. Salvador Perez is happy. He got the biggest contract ever given out by the Royals. Four years, $82 million. The value of the new deal surpasses the four-year, $72 million contract the Royals gave to Alex Gordon, who spent his whole career with the Royals in 2016. The deal starts in 2022, and Sal turns 31 in May. He was the comeback player of the year in 2020, and he hit 330 with 11 homers and 32 RBI. He He has won five gold gloves in his career. This is the second extension the Royals have given out this offseason, the other one being Hunter Dozier's very team-friendly contract, and Sal missed the entire 2019 season with Tommy John surgery. Buying or selling, the Royals should have not extended Sal Perez. How old is he? He's going to be 31 in May. 
that's not. And I, I, I'm. I, you saying they shouldn't have? I'm selling that. This is not the. This is not. This is not one of those contracts that. I mean. I mean, you're gonna. You'll be done with them 35, 36. You still can DH him to help protect him. You know, it's not an eight-year deal. Those are the deals that kill you. Shorter deals don't kill you. It's the long-term deals that kill you. Yeah, I don't disagree. And and he, uh, if he can be anything like Yadier Molina, where he just keeps hitting as he gets older, which it looks like Sal will, because he's kind of built similar. I think he might be. I mean, he's bigger than Yadier height and body-wise, but he's also a much better hitter than Yadier was this in his part in his career. But I, I just think that what he can bring to that Royals team, that Royals team is really, really interesting this year. I don't think they're going to be winning the AL Central, but they're going to be a lot better than I think people are giving them credit for because they have so many good young players and they're returning a lot of veterans. So I'm, I'm, I'm just glad Sal's back, Sal, Salvador Perez is back because the Royals are a much better watch when he's playing. Speaking of the Royals, they didn't do everything fans may have wanted in spring training. They sent top prospect Bobby Wood Jr. down to the minors over the weekend. The 20-year-old shortstop hit 289 across, across 40 plate appearances. He also had a 484-foot home run as well. I believe that home run came against the A's. He's the seventh best prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America. He was the number two overall pick in the 2019 draft and the son of a former major leaguer, Bobby Witt. Buying or selling, Bobby Witt Jr. will debut for the Royals in 2021. I, I don't know how his service time works. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I buy or sell based on, okay, how long does he have to be down there before <clears throat> so they can manip- manipulate his service time? I don't know when that time is. So that's kind of like an incomplete. I'd have to know that because I guarantee you they're going to play the service time game on him. Uh, no question. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I saw the, Mar- by the way, I, I saw the Mariners made some roster moves today. Uh, I don't. I didn't get a chance to see if they moved uh, Jared Kelnick or not. But I, I would not be. Fa- I would not be surprised if they they did do that today. But with Bobby Witt, I mean the way he's been playing, and he's only. I think he's only twenty or twenty-one, so he's still super young. And for a Royals team that's trying to, if they're if they're, I could see them being in a situation where if they're competing in the AL Central, which it's going to be tough with the Twins and White Sox. But if they're somewhere around that wild card spot and they're trying to get in. I can see them calling him up. They, they've never been shy about calling guys up. They did it with Alberto Mondesi, and they did it with uh, Brandon Finnegan, who pitched at TCU, and he came up and pitched in the World Series for them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do something like that, but I think we're going to see him more in 2022. All right, what do we got Wednesday? I know we got Ray Fossey. What else we got? Uh, so we're going to have Hembo. I moved Hembo from today to, to Wednesday, so that'll happen. And then we'll have someone from the Blue Jays, in which I'm, I wanted to get Dan Schulman. But with them doing the whole simulcast thing, uh, it'd be fascinating to get his take on that. But I don't know how comfortable he feels about talking about that. But we'll see. Either Dan Schulman or or Buck Martinez, whoever from the Blue Jays, because the Baby Jays are going to be fun to watch this year for sure. All righty. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. Are we replaying the game or the show? We're replaying the show. Then the game will be played after that. And then we'll be back on Wednesday from 4 to 7. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.